Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Burial the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller let them have it cause this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get go boy yeah from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome this is keeping it strong style with your host Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Joshua Smith and thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll be discussing the preview for Castle Attack, answering your questions, and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pros and Tees store, prosandtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only Browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. Visit NJPWEXT.US today for details. Bianca Belair is the EST, <laughs> whereas this is the EXT, if, if you catch my drift. Oh, man. I don't know why that popped me so I, much. I don't. Yeah, I'm looking at you like <laughs> I didn't expect you to. I didn't expect to get such a reaction from you, bro. I don't know. It just just popped me, man. But yes, the, the ext is the est <laughs> of extensions to watch NJPW World. Oh man! So it looks like we got a lot to talk about today. We got injuries and setbacks and four big shows on the horizon, back to back to back. It's a big week. Four. Yeah. Are you counting the uh, the road Thursday's road two show as the fourth? There's a title match. Yeah, and then strong. Yeah, and then the two castle attacks. Yeah, oh, I didn't know you were counting the uh, the road two show. Of course. Well, I mean the the last road two show on the twentieth was sort of like the or was that the twenty second? Yeah, twenty second. Yeah, it was like the go home show for that road two show. <laughs> the go home for the, the go home. Yeah, it was a, it was a road it was a go home show for a road two castle attack show, mm. and then. Thursday will be the actual the go home to Castle Attack. Yeah, the go home for the go home. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, man. Let's let's get into don't, it. Don't overcomplicate this thing, Jerry. Let's get to this. So, uh, injury updates. So we got um, three injuries to talk about here. So uh, first, uh, the big one that was reported by New Japan: Hiromu Takahashi going to be out an estimated six months due to due to a torn left pectoral. Uh, we have some questions here, but uh, overall thoughts on Hiromu being being injured out for up a minimum of six months. Did you see where this occurred? Because I never noticed it. I did not notice it either. Which in which match it happened in? Well, I mean, well, yeah, that's true. It could have actually have happened a while back, and maybe he's been harboring the injury. Yeah. Um, I was just assuming it probably happened in the last match they had on what was that the twenty. 20- yeah, that was the 22nd show, right? Yeah, I think. Or the 17th. I think he was 17, I think was his last show. 17 or 16 was his last show. Okay. Um, but I never noticed anything, you know? Uh, like, there was never a giveaway, like, oh, this man's shoulder or, you know, his uh, pectoral is hurt. So I didn't, there, there was nothing, like, kind of giving away the fact that there was a serious injury there. Right, I mean, he, he seems fine in all the matches. He was doing, you know, making fun of ELPs, taunt, and kind of being normal Hiromu throughout this tour. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was doing the gimmick where he brought out the cardboard IWTV <laughs> yeah. junior heavyweight title. <laughs> I think they were even doing, like, a challenge online where, like, to see if you could do the ELP dance, like, the best or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. Um, I don't know, man. It's, <sighs> it, it's terrible, but it's also sort of like... I mean, it is, it's just flat out, it's terrible, um, you know, from a real world perspective. I mean, uh, Hiromu was on the shelf for, you know, over a year, the, the, what was it, a year and a half almost, something like that? Almost, yeah. You know, uh, with the neck injury, I think he's only been back roughly about a year, essentially, um, a little over a year. And then, you know, he's out another six months. Um, you know, I, I know there's some people that are going to say he's like, who might have the, um, the feeling or disposition that he's injury prone based off this, but I, I don't think that's the case. But then again, he wrestles an extremely high octane, high risk, you know, style, which, you know, anyone that can see what he's doing knows that it's going to take its toll. So maybe, you know, maybe this is his lot in life at this point. Um, you yeah, know, that, that wear and tear and just right. over time, things just rip and tear apart and break down. Yeah. So, I mean, I hope that, uh, I was on One Nation Radio last night, and uh, Rich made a joke. He's like, you know, maybe he can uh, hit up John Cena. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> call call up Cena, find out the strategy to come back in, in three months, uh, be ready for uh, Dominion. It's too bad uh, there's a travel restriction, because I think, like, you can go to South America and get, like, shot up with a bunch of, uh, what are they called? Like, oh, God, what what is it called? What, uh... Oh my God! What is wrong with me? I'm I'm tired today. It's it's the stuff that like that they can like shoot in your body. It's supposed to make you get better like super quick. It's like sketchy as fuck. Stem cells. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You could go get because they they don't give a fuck in South America. They'll give you like, you know, way 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 more stem cells than like they will in the states. I don't know if that would help, but you know, maybe he could do yeah, that. It's worth a shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um. Yeah. It's unfortunate, man. Um. I don't know. What are your thoughts? And, I mean, how do you see this affecting everything? You know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a bummer. Hiromu has been one of the highlight performers, especially during the pandemic area, uh, era. Excuse me. Um, you know, he was great in New Japan Cup. 
uh, had the, the IWGP title match against Evil, gave Evil one of his best title defenses. He was the standout in the best of Super Juniors that happened uh, this past December uh, during the World Tag League Tour. Uh, you know, just you know, top draw. He is the star of the junior division, and so there's definitely going to be a, a big gaping hole um, to fill of him gone for six months. And yeah, like you mentioned, it's just it's just sad. And you know, he's somebody that a lot of people are excited to watch. And you know, he's been one of the main you know top in ring guys throughout this pandemic since he's been back from injury. I don't know how the fans were feeling about Hiromu. I mean, it seemed like based off what we were seeing. The fans were still high on him, um, but at the same time, given everything with the state of emergency and these low attendance for these shows, it feels like we're kind of in a little bit of a lull right now, this period of New Japan, and there was a critical sort of lashback from his last uh, you know, big main event that he had with show, which... I think maybe was warranted for the match, but then it, it sort of like they were retconning a lot of like uh, reviewers and pundits and stuff. They were kind of retconning the, you know, his, uh, his run, you know, maybe like lessening the impact of it, lessening like his, uh, you know, overall sort of just impact that he's made. And I mean, he, for us, I think the past two months prior to this, he was like the, the wrestler of the month. Yeah. And he's one of the top, top wrestlers of last year and uh the 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 one question i had going into this year is like who was he going to wrestle you know especially with the travel restrictions uh obviously the elp match was on the table but after that i kind of was like scratching my head i mean i know you could go back to desperado but beyond that it seems like his uh his talent pool and like you know Challengers was kind of lacking a little bit, right? And that's something we saw, you know, especially during Best of Super Juniors, um, and just looking at the junior division. You know, we got tons of questions even before we found out there was going to be Super Juniors. Like, what are they going to do? Like, who are they going to bring in? Like, what what's the junior division going to look like? Because they rely so much on the imports to bolster that junior division and have some great junior matches. And so, you know, right now with Japan still being in a state of emergency and not being able to bring a ton of people over. That leaves the question, you know, what are they going to do with the junior division? Even if Hiromi was healthy, you know, what, what was the plan? Because there's only so many guys that they have domestically in New Japan that, that are they use um, on their New Japan shows. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a ton of guys domestically they can use maybe freelancers or other guys from other promotions. But as far as in New Japan, it's a pretty small lot that they have to work with right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's all going to depend on when they end up doing a super juniors, you know, this past year they did it in November slash December. Uh, if they go back more to the traditional, like may June timeframe, um, you know, that's not that far away. And so they might need to start making preparations if that's the case. Uh, I've even heard some people say maybe they could move that up, uh, as a, as a means to kind of fill the vacancy if there ends up needing to be one, which I'm guessing six months to maybe even longer. That sounds like they need to strip the title off of him for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but, you know, one thing I was thinking is, and it's a silver lining, and it's not one that I'd advocate for, but, you know, the one positive that might come out of it is, well, A, hopefully he gets healthy, uh, but then B, it does create a little bit of a power vacuum, and it kind of gives them an opportunity, meaning New Japan, their booking committee, uh, to sort of establish some of these other junior characters as stars because right now um even though there's people that are popular like elp and show 
it not, nobody really feels to be on the same level as Hiromu Takahashi. And the last time he was injured, they had the same sort of situation. But what ended up happening was the guys they made were Shingo and Will Ospreay primarily. Right, and you also had Dragon Lee there as well. And Dragon Lee, yeah. And Dragon Lee ended up not, you know, uh, being able to be around nearly as much as they wanted him to be just because of the COVID situation. And then, uh, you know, Will and Shingo both moved up and went, went on to heavyweight, which kind of, again, created another power vacuum that instead of Hiromu coming back to a wide playing field, he came back and filled the void and has been like this giant sun that all the other juniors are sort of re- revolving around. It was say that, yeah, the Fresh Prince meme where, you know, Will Smith comes home <laughs> and like <laughs> all, all the furniture is gone. <laughs> that was a robot. He came back to junior vision and was like, uh, Shingo, Osprey, uh, where did everybody go? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you, no, you know, I, I didn't know which one you were talking about. I thought you were talking about like the cry face one. Oh, no. <laughs> it, it, it could be that, too. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, I mean, this might give opportunity for guys like Robbie Eagles, uh, ELP, obviously. Yeah, we haven't seen Eagles since, what, since Super Juniors, right? Yeah, no. I mean, he's had a couple matches over in uh, Australia. You know, I'm tracking the excursion matches, but mm-hmm. uh, one was intergender. I heard it was pretty good, actually. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that's a guy that they could definitely – I mean – I assume would be able to bring back and, and push obviously show obviously uh, El Fantasmo who, you know, came in with the most goodwill coming out of last year's super juniors for 2021. Yeah. 2021. But uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen here. Um, yeah. I mean, it's also, there's a ton of juniors that are on new Japan strong right now. Guys, hopefully maybe they can bring some of those guys over, you know, um, Leo rush, Ray Horace, uh, you know, some of the guys that they're using there. I think it kind of depends on what New Japan is intending long-term because it feels like most of those guys are sort of seen as just like they're the U.S., uh, you know, the ragtag U.S. guys that we will push, we'll use, but they're not going to Japan necessarily. Right. That might change. Uh, Leo Rush does feel like one of the names they might end up investing in, and we've seen them bring TJP over in yeah. the past. Um, I'm wondering why Amazing Red's not on that show, by the way. That's kind of strange. I know. Red's kind of disappeared since the pandemic happened, so I don't know what's going on there. Maybe he's just being a good human being. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Um, You also got guys like Clark Connors that you can use. Red Narita. Uh, Yeah, Narita. Yeah, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens here. It looks like we got a lot of questions regarding this, though. Yeah, so first from Reddit user PSAN91, what do you think they will do with the junior heavyweight title? Will they strip Hiromu as he's going to be out for six months? Um, Scott Rand also asked, what do you guys think will be the plan to crown a new junior champion? Um, You know, possibly move up uh, best of the super juniors. Is that a possibility? And is this next question also in line with that stuff, or is it a little different? Uh, it's about Hiromu. Uh, Viking Pain asks, with the loss of Hiromu for about six months, do you guys think New Japan will opt to use available Japanese freelancers or push hard to get more foreign talent into the country to bolster the juniors division? Four foreign talents I can think of are Robbie Eagles and Dragon Lee, who seem like shoe-ins for a return. Marty Skrull, who's a free agent, and it seems like they're teasing a best super junior run with Leo Rush with his recent backstage interview. Yeah, so some great questions here. Uh... As far as what I think they're going to do, this is just my general feelings, and this is a little bit of a spoiler alert. We're going to get to it here in the review. 
Uh, it seems as though this coming Thursday they're doing a. Uh, was it announced officially? It, it's announced officially. So yeah, this Thursday it was supposed to be ELP and Taiji defending the junior tag titles against Hiromu and Bushi. Uh, obviously, with Hiromu hurt, that match has been changed. Desperado and Kanemaru uh, attacked ELP and Taiji and challenged them. So it's now official. Yeah, so it's a rematch for the IWGP Junior Title. We kind of originally thought that was the. Uh, the original direction they were going to go before they involved LIJ with Bullet Club. Um, that being the case, it seems to me like Desperado is the the you know automatic person that you would put into a junior title feud with um, El Fantasmo. Um, so I think that they now that remains to be seen whether they're going to vacate the title and and put it up on the line in time for this weekend. They haven't really announced that. If it was me, that's what I would do. Um, right, and maybe they're waiting till the end of the road. Like, maybe uh, um, Desperado kind of, they, they win the titles. Desperado pins ELP, and he's like, hey, you know, you were supposed to get a junior title shot. I just pinned you. I think I should be in the junior title match. Yeah, uh, and I was predicting personally that LIJ was going to win the junior titles on this tour anyways. Right, I thought they were going to swap the belts. Right, so I think that they could swap here, and then that could potentially set up that title match um either way i think they've got to strip the title off hiromu um you know and there's probably some people listening that are thinking of uh like for instance the john moxley situation you know Mm -hmm. and in that case they create a briefcase they created like a tournament to determine his title so essentially basically an interim title that was defended until they were able to end that uh you know that briefcase situation, which is coming up Friday. And I mean, you know, it took six or seven months for that to happen. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that. I would not like if the super junior winner, like let's say they move up super junior and the winner is like carries the trophy and then, you know, will face him for the title when he comes back at whoever, like who knows whenever that might be. It could right. be six months, it could be nine months. Um, I think that's a bad way to go. I don't. I don't even think they should have like kept the title on John. I understood why they did it for business reasons. Uh, the one thing I think is different here is with John, it was a travel restriction thing, and maybe business as well. But had something changed, there might have been a possibility that they could have moved it up at any point. You know, right? But with this, this is kind of a definite timeline. Like we know it's going to be probably at minimum six months and with that kind of like guarantee that it's like he's out and we don't know when he's coming back i think you gotta take the title off him yeah i think art the new japan kind of their rule then it likes uh title offense six months every well, it's i think it's shorter than that but normal yes normally there's a, a rule but they broke that rule for john moxley they well, made, well for covid they said that they were extending the dead the, the title defense whatever rule for during covid what they did was they said they extended it out to a certain period. They said while they were shut down, here's what the rule was. While they were shut down, that entire time frame did not count. Towards their... Yeah. yeah. But then they started the clock again. And they definitely ran out on John Moxley, and they just went silent on the thing and chose not to strip him for business reasons. Right. They broke their own rule. We've seen times where they've stripped people with swiftness. <laughs> Immediately. Immediately. <laughs> Like, you know. Oh, you're, you're sneezing? Yeah. <laughs> Snatch. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think they do need to, uh, in, in this situation, I think it, it is, especially with the fact that we don't know what's happening with the IC title at mm. all. 
Um, this is a title that they've kind of established as something that that is a, a highlight and a draw. They need, they probably need it in circulation, anyways. Yeah, and I don't think they should move up Best of Super Juniors for this. I, I think the best thing to do is to just go ahead and do Desperado and Kanamaru this uh, Sunday. Or excuse me, Desperado and ELP this Sunday. Get a new champion that way, and then. Well, we saw uh, the last time Hiromu got injured and dropped the title. They did a four-way uh, single elimination tournament. Yeah. And kind of went that way. So, I mean, they could hypothetically do a mini tournament of some sort if they really wanted to, especially with, you know, you know how they love to do tournaments. They did right. a lot of tournaments <laughs> last year. So they might, they might be like, oh, this is an opportunity to get a little junior tournament in. Right. Um, so that's a possibility. Yeah. As far as his, uh, the question Viking Payne asked, though, he had some questions about, you know, kind of about, like, the power vacuum that we sort of mentioned and, you know, what do we think they're going to do, you know, and I think he threw out some some interesting things there, you know, guys like Robbie Eagles, Dragon Lee, uh, potentially Marty Skrull, people like that, Leo Rush, who are, like, outsider, you know, some of those guys that are outsiders that they could bring in to kind of try and bolster things. We also threw some names out, but then, you know, there is the possibility that with, COVID situation, they might not be able to do so much of that, uh, mm-hmm. being in a state of emergency. And, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? you think that we're going to see surprises like that, or do you think they're going to focus more on the Watos, the shows, the Kanemarus, you know, yeah, Taguchi? Yeah, I, I think it just all depends. Like, because, I mean, it's still some time away, still a couple months away. Things could get a little bit better. Borders could open up a little bit more. I mean, we, we are seeing some U.S. guys come over. We're, we're seeing Bullet Club, uh, you know, G.O.D. going back and forth. Chase Owens went back and forth. ELP back and forth. So we're seeing a couple guys who have gone back and forth, even in the midst of a state of emergency. Um, so that gives me some hope that maybe we, we can see some of these strong guys come over for that for that tour. That's interesting. So I wonder how they've been able to travel. Maybe there's something to that Kenny story. <laughs> <laughs> New, New uh, Japan got pulled when it comes to uh, the international travel, you know. Yeah, you know. Uh, but let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk about the other unfortunate injury. It may or may not be a quite a serious. Kind of depends. Uh, that's Tetsuya Naito. Yeah. So Naito suffered a knee injury on the February sixteenth row two show in Tokyo and has missed a couple shows. He did say um, at the the beginning of the last row two show that he will be wrestling. On February 28th for the IC title against Kota Ibushi in Osaka. Um, well, let's just start off here. Viking Payne asked a question. He said, let's say Naito's injury is worse than we thought, and they had to take him out of the IC title match. Who would you guys uh, like to see as a suitable replacement to challenge Ibushi for the IC title? And, you know, that would benefit from an IC title run. So, you know, if they did decide to do that. Yeah, I think the most logical answer and the best answer is probably Shingo. Um, Shingo yeah. makes the most sense. Yeah, Shingo has a win over him from the G1. There was Abushi teasing Shingo with the titles during the New Beginning tour. Shingo's in LIJ. Uh, we, we've seen Shingo main event with the Never title. You can easily have him main event chill with the IC title. And I think he's the, the perfect guy to kind of be that that 1B champion. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to even honestly uh, kind of like mess around because I think that that's the, the 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 exact right answer. I mean, I could throw out someone else. I could throw out a Jeff Cobb. I could throw out a Osprey, Osprey, Ishii, whatever. But I think for what they're looking to do and the story and the elements and the setup, I think that that's the perfect answer. Um, as far as the injury goes, so 
I didn't, when I watched this, I didn't see the initial cause of the injury. What I noticed was the botched, uh, you know, swinging DDT where Kotobushi basically ate it because Naito's like leg gave out and then he stayed down just selling his knee. And I kind of thought that that's where it originally originated from, but I mm-hmm. didn't see any like serious pain. And they hadn't really been working his leg at all. In fact, they'd been working Abushi's leg all right. <laughs> the whole match. So I was I was like, is he just like selling really hard to like mock Abushi? But then he stayed down for a while and I was like, what what is going on? And um then I saw the actual video from earlier in the match that I didn't catch when with the Nagata, Nagata roll. roll. Oh. Yeah, they rolled right into the knee. I remember watching it. I was like, oh, that didn't look right. But then he finished the match. I was like, all right, maybe he'll, he'll be okay. But then when you watch it slow down Oof. and see, like, yeah, it did not look good at all. It looked, could have been a potential uh, ACL tear. But, I mean, I told he's been walking around, and he, he said it's going to be – he's competing on uh, Thursday. But here's the thing. Like, there are variations – and I'm not a doctor, but there are varied degrees of how bad a an ACL tear can or cannot be. And I've I've known f- lots of people, especially like we're in our 30s, so I've had lots of friends over the years that have torn ACLs, and I've seen them walk around and to even to some extent be kind of active on them, you know. And it's sort of like it's always one of those things you ask someone who has it. Well, th- there's always that. Uh, dilemma with people that have acl tears do you go and get the corrective surgery which you need to because it won't really get better or do you not and just kind of tough it out because a lot of people do that and just have a bad wheel but can stand on it right you know what i mean yeah so like to me the fact he's walking on it doesn't tell me anything and and we don't know necessarily that's an acl tear but when, once i saw the video and i saw what happened and just to kind of give you guys a breakdown it was a situation where Nagato hit the ropes and he was supposed to do a roll through and miss Naito. And it looked like the, some, I think it was Nagata's fault, to be honest, either that or Naito was standing in the wrong spot. It, it's hard to know. There exactly. was some miscommunication somewhere. Yeah. And he rolls right into Naito's right leg and the leg literally bends inwards. It looks like the entire leg popped out of the socket and being a fan of MMA, I've seen a lot of ACL tears. That looked like an ACL tear. And the moment that, like, our friends watched it who are, like, football fans, they all were like, that's an ACL tear. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm i like, once I saw that, I was like, oh, he's not wrestling. Uh, this, this title match is off. But apparently, it's not. Right. He's competing on Thursday on the Road 2 show, and he's set to compete on Sunday. So, maybe they're going to do the match, try to work around it to the best of their ability, and hopefully, maybe if it's very serious, he's going away to get surgery or to get treatment. Um, there, There is the possibility. Uh, there's probably people listening, and they probably are saying, like, there is the possibility that it's not that serious. Right. I've just never seen anyone's knee do what it did and it not be serious. Right. Ever in my life. Like, I would bet hard, serious money. He's got a very serious knee injury right now. Yeah, and we already know his knees were in a bad state already. So a move like that didn't make anything better. Um, so, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens Thursday and Sunday, see how he moves around. And We've seen a lot of wrestlers in New Japan stick around. Uh, most famously, uh, Tanahashi with his myriad of different um, serious injuries throughout the years. But we've seen guys who've had 
you know, who've wrestled hurt. And yeah, that's part of the business. I mean, everyone kind of is wrestling hurt to some degree, but in new Japan, for whatever reason, a lot of guys stick around when they're really hurt. You know what I mean? Right. And, and like, that's the thing. Once, if someone misses a match in new Japan, that means they're really, they're really, really hurt. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes they come back quickly, but I mean, without treatment, it's not like whatever that ailment was, it just goes away. You know, they're right. just wrestling hurt, basically. So I think that this is extremely serious, personally. I mean, we don't have a official word or anything like that, but I mean, the fact that he missed these last two matches, I think they're just trying to salvage the gate uh, that's coming up, and, you know, because they're already in the midst of this story. It is very um, ironic, though, that the whole story of the match they had was about how they were working Ibushi's leg, and then Naito actually injured his leg, but on top of his real injury, he was doing a fake worked mockery of of an injury to make fun of Ibushi's worked injury. It's like super meta. <laughs> like, just to make it simple, Naito's leg's actually hurt, but he's pretending to have a hurt leg, but be fine to make fun of the fact that they hurt Abushi's leg right but in all actuality Naito's the guy who's got the bad wheel <laughs> like it, I don't know and it, it kind of seems funny too because he uh he was also mocking Nagata and Hama and the dads and stuff like that earlier on in this tour right and mimicking the fact that they they don't move around so well <laughs> right and now and now he's got a bad knee like <laughs> karma yeah I don't know <laughs> yeah. man uh so uh, one last injury that not a lot of people will talk about uh, has been Will Ospreay. He's been suffering with a right shoulder issue that he's been rehabbing. Uh, he was back in action also on the, the February 14th Road 2 show and has been on the, the rest of these Road 2 shows. So you know, he has tape on his shoulder. He's been nursing it, rehabbing it. But, yeah, another guy that's kind of hurt during this uh, Castle Attack tour. Yeah, I haven't noticed too much um, with with Will and him having a shoulder issue or anything like that, but I'm – you know, um, this one, to me, wasn't really one that kept him out unless, I mean, because it wasn't like he got canceled off right. of Right, the Empire just wasn't on shows. Right. And it does help now that they've mainly been six-man tags, so he hasn't really had to do a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, they've been, and then plus they've been working with, you know, Tanahashi and, you know, Tenzan and... Young, Young Lions, lions. Yeah. so uh, it hasn't really been that intensive for him or anything like that either. But uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully that's something that gets resolved quickly too. Yeah. Uh, so we had a question here from Viking Pain. Says, "I know that COVID has really messed up the wrestling world, but these recent string of injuries plaguing the Castle Attack tour, would it be smarter to book less shows in the future to minimize wear and tear, even with a loss in revenue, or continue forward and chalk us up to a random case of bad luck?" Uh, it's, that's hard to say because I'm not a, you know, I, I don't know their business. You know, I don't know what they need to, to make their nut. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the other thing too is like, it could be wear and tear long term, which I think you'd be foolish to deny that that's a, a likelihood. But at the same time, a lot of times where guys are non-active, they get hurt. They, they come in cold after being, you know, off for a long time and then they get hurt eas more easily. Sometimes like, you know, staying active actually helps you to avoid those injuries. Right. Uh the other thing too, um we just don't know like what their business really needs at the end of the day. Like 
right? They, they lost a lot of money um, last year and the beginning part being off for the, all that time, for, you know, from most at the end of uh, beginning of March to June, uh, missing those those months of, of shows. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Uh, the other point I was trying to make was that sometimes guys just get hurt in freak accidents and it, has, and it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, inactivity or activity like, you know, I've seen guys get hurt on a forward roll, something that is inconsequential. We saw that with uh, uh, Yota Nakajima, is that his name? Oh, the, uh, the young lion. Yotu Nakajima, is that his name? Nak- I'm going to have to learn it. Yeah, I'm blanking on it. Is it Nakashima or something like that? It might be Nakashima. Yeah, I don't know. But, uh, you know, he just posted the wrong way and someone landed on his arm and, and, it, and it came out that... That stuff like that yeah. just happens. I mean, uh, Pac before he was uh, before he left for AW, he had like a baseball slide and like messed up his ankle. Yeah, so I mean, you know, you just never really know. Um, but as far as the business of New Japan, I mean, they're not right now in the position that many of the like U.S. based companies like AW and WWE are, where they're they're getting rights fees and advertising fees and and that sort of thing, and that's driving their business. We're finding that obviously. U.S. wrestling and Japanese wrestling, completely different animals, completely different, uh, you know, goals and aspirations. But over in the States, they make so much money from the ad revenue and everything like that, that they're they're finding that touring is actually an expenditure that's un- unnecessary and not necessarily good for their business. Um, whereas, like, New Japan is strictly a touring business at this point. I mean, yeah, they make money from world and, you know, I'm, they do have TV deals, but... It's nothing compared to the, the the big Fox money contracts, the contracts that AW is getting from TNT. We're seeing that these contracts are like the lifeblood of these American promotions now. Well, and I don't even know enough about Japanese business to know if that's even how how the TV and entertainment industry works in Japan. So I couldn't say that, but you know, all the stuff they're making from their other revenues is it really does pale in comparison to what they primarily make from touring, you know, the live shows, the big shows that they do, Wrestle Kingdom, Dominion, G1, all these shows, it, that's how they make the majority of, of their and, income. And that's the reason why they started doing two nights of Wrestle Kingdom, two nights of this show, two nights of that show, you know, making New Japan Cup 32 men to the 16 so they can do more shows, so they can drive more revenue. And this is something we talked about a few weeks ago. I said, you know, unfortunately, they've got a problem where they are expanding the amount of shows that they do because they have to, because they can't draw as many audience uh, members and fans as they normally would. So to make up for that, they're doing more shows. But because they, But because they have... A great talent roster, but less people to work with. They're spreading themselves very thin, and it's literally, uh, you know, kind of diluting the quality of the product. And we've seen that on this tour, I think, to to a certain extent. I think they're doing the best they can, but uh, that's my way of answering. Like, I don't know if it would be smarter to book less or not. I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of value they see overall. You know, would it be better to have the wrestlers work a little bit less? But and invest in the wrestlers, but then long, you know, and long term, maybe they can, you know, have those guys, you know, healthy. But they make they don't make money when they don't run shows. Right. Um, on the other hand, they might need to run the shows to keep everything afloat and to keep things moving forward, and you know, to keep Bushi Road happy. So it's hard to say. Yeah, it's. I'm just glad I'm not in their position to have to make that make that choice. <laughs> well, you know, and 
hopefully they've got business people who, who are the right mind and business minded who know what to do here because they kind of know their books, they know their business and they know the market and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, we also had a question here from Rambo and Slam Pig. With Hiromu expected to be out for six months, Naito possibly injured as well, and Evil leaving the unit last year, is it time for LJ to look for a new member or two? Anyone outside the company or any young alliance who you think would be a good fit? <laughs> uh, that's a possibility. I mean, I don't know. To, I think that I made the bold prediction last year that I said – 2021 would be the first year in many years that LIJ would not be faction of the year, the faction of the year, the primary driving force in this company. I, I mostly based that off of my thinking that they were really going to go heavy with this United empire, which I think they are, but I didn't count on the idea that there'd be this many, you know, um, injuries and things like that. They still have, um, Bushi, Sonata and Shingo. And, I mean, six months is some time, but it's not a lot of time. And hypothetically, if Naito either continues to wrestle her or maybe rehabs or, or goes to a much more limited schedule, I don't necessarily see a reason to add more members. Right, yeah. I think they can still run it pretty strong with, with Sonata, Shingo, Bushi. I mean, maybe you bring in, try to bring in one other guy. I don't know. I can't think of who, though. Right. I mean, there is the weird conundrum where there's these other uh, ingobernables groups in that, that ring of honor, and and all over Mexico too. Right, yeah, and is there one in MLW too? No, I don't think there is. No, there's not. Well, not not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, um, I don't know, man. Uh, is it? I can't even. I honestly couldn't think of anybody that I would want to see join the group uh, that's out there. I mean, there is Sh- Shota Umino. Maybe. Mm, yeah, I mean. I mean, you could do that. Yeah. It's a possibility, but I, I don't know. I There's no one that I've ever thought, like, man, they got serious LIJ energy, you know? They need to be rolling with uh, Naito and them sitting in the family restaurant, you know? Right, yeah. There's nobody currently on the roster. I mean, potentially, I mean, there are young lines. I guess you could graduate and put in that role. Um, one of my biggest things is LIJ has always been exclusively Japanese. Mm. And I think they should keep it. Well, actually, it's not true. Remember, uh, remember, um, <laughs> briefly, very, very briefly, uh, Jay Lethal was part of the. Group. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, primarily, most of the member, the members who are the actual real members, not counting Los Ingenables, you know, back in CMLL and all that. Like they've all been Japanese. And they all do a Mexican gimmick, which I think is, like, the whole point of the group. So, to me, that you'd need to kind of keep it that way. Right. I think you'd have to bring in, try to find some kind of luch, some luchador to, to bring in. Well, when you say luchador, you mean a Japanese luchador? Because that's what I'm saying. I'm yeah. saying it needs to stay Japanese. Yeah. That's why I threw out, like, Sh- Shoto Mino. I don't think it would make sense to bring in, like, say... You know, Dragon Lee into the group or something. Right. Although, that that he has the most connection of anybody. But. <laughs> right. Hey, have a Doki switch sides. No, <laughs> you could no, but he thinks they're hipster. Right, they're yeah. hipster luchadors. <laughs> like that wouldn't work. Right. All right. Uh, moving on to uh, Dom Homie One Hundred and One has a series of questions you got a here. A lot of questions about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he says, with both Naito and Hiromu dealing with injuries, do you guys think maybe New Japan 
We can step back and cut back on the amount of shows to make sure the roster can get run down to the ground. So we just kind of pretty much answered that. Also, thoughts on New Japan maybe working with companies like All Japan or Dragon Gate to bridge the gap with these injuries. I'm I'm a big fan of it. Um, like I would love for them to kind of extend the Olive Branch and do open the doors. Yeah, open. That's the that's the forbidden door I want to see open. <laughs> open the gates. Yeah, open the gates. Um, and even if it was just on on, I mean, you know, in the past when we got like guys like Nakajima and um, God, what's wrong? I'm just like forgetting names and stuff tonight. Uh, Marafuji, uh, when they like worked in the G1, that was like one of the last times I really remember, you know, outsiders in Japan come over. And then, you know, some, I guess they had some of the Noah guys on those G1 tours. I love that stuff, you know? Um, they just had Shima win the All Japan uh, Junior Heavyweight title. Like, I would love to see Shima work juniors that would be fucking dope you know yeah or like mochizuki or something like that and and we've seen dragon gate juniors in the past work best super juniors i i mean i'd be open to anything personally this is just me speaking big japan all japan ddt noah i don't give a fuck like (laughs) freedoms let's do it (laughs) but you know that's just that's my like feeling i don't think new japan sees any of those other groups as being like on the level really right um, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, for them, I think it would have to come to a very desperate point to potentially work with these other promotions. But, I mean, I'm down for it, and I think it would be cool just to get some fresh matchups, get some fresh people in some of these tournaments. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of upside, uh, especially just given what's going on. Yeah. Um, second part of his question, it's time for some hot takes. Hot take number one. It sucks that Hiromu Takahashi will be out for six months, but there's light at the end of the tunnel due to the opportunities that the other juniors will get. The division, the division just can't be Hiromu Takahashi show, and it's time for other juniors to step up to the plate, start hitting some home runs, and it's time for the company to maybe get behind some guys and pull some triggers, which is exactly how I feel. Yeah, that's how you mentioned earlier, and we talked about this off-air too. Yeah, they, they need to create some more stars because Hiromu is it's literally Hiromu and friends right now. One thing I said on um, One Nation Radio last night, uh, I spoke about how I don't see him going heavyweight. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people think he's going to have this, like, lauded heavyweight run just based on his star power and his talent and his skill and everything like that. I personally see him as more of a Liger character based on his stature, his frame, and his kind of lack of a muscular build. Like, you know, show is about the same size, but, like, to me, he's more believable as a heavyweight. Based on his actual physique. And, you know, I guess the trade-off there is, like, Hiromu's got all the charisma in the world. I just don't see... I know that he can have great, compelling matches with heavyweights, but I don't think the company will ever see him that way. I think that they see him as a top star attraction in the junior division, the same way that they treated Liger and Tiger Mask. And that that's kind of what his role is going to be, you know? Right. And, yeah, every, and so, every once in a while you can you can put him against a heavyweight and do some like open weight stuff, but he's not going to be a permanent fixture there. That's my feeling. I could be wrong on that, and I wouldn't be you know opposed to being wrong on that. That being said, he needs he needs dance partners. He needs compelling stories, compelling opponents. And right now, I mean, you know, we're a far cry from you know the glory years when he had Kushida and he had Kyle O'Reilly. Kyle O'Reilly. Yeah, all these different Ricochet. guys. Ricochet, Marty Squirrel. Will yeah. Ospreay, you know, the guys that he, like, was able able to end Dragon Lee. So yeah. it's, it's not quite the same right now. 
Then his hot take number two, star ratings don't matter and people need to relax when it comes to star ratings. Star ratings are just opinions and it's not facts. But it's funny to see people be angry as fuck over star ratings. Also, people need to stop trying to be wrestling critics and just be wrestling fans again. It's just entertainment at the end of the day. It's okay to think something sucks, but don't be threatening or cursing people out if they don't agree with you. Also, fans need to stop with the I am better than you attitude towards other wrestling fans. We are in the same boat at the end of the day. Hmm. <laughs> um, okay, I'll, I'll just say this. There is truth to what he's saying, you know, in a very nihilistic sense. Um, star ratings don't matter the same way that, like, a lot of stuff in life ultimately doesn't matter. But we create some of these constructs to add value or to add enjoyment to whatever it is that you like. And so... I, while I don't think star ratings are always the end-all, be-all, they're very indicative of the overall quality and perception of a match. And to me, wrestling's not just entertainment. Right. To me, it's stage, drama, theater, and art. I do see it as being higher than just this lowbrow perception that people have of it. Um, I think it's one of the greatest forms of art that, that that's ever been, to be honest with you. And so for that reason, the same way, like, I'm a cinephile. I really like movies. When I go to watch a movie, I always check Rotten Tomatoes. I always check Metacritic. I always, now, I don't always agree, but it is a good indicator of the overall perception. And, you know, there is a fallacy that, like, you know, just because a majority rule feels a certain way that that makes it the case, that's not true. So just because a match is 100%, you know, lauded by everybody doesn't mean for sure that the majority is right. But statistically speaking, more often than not, they are going to be right. And that's a good way for you to kind of figure out whether or not it was good. You know what I mean? Right. And, and it does spark debates. And I do think people take it a little too far sometimes. And, you know, I, do, I don't believe in being disrespectful. But... At the same time, I could, I'm not entirely opposed to <laughs> the, the whole thing about I'm better than you. Of course, I don't think anyone should be like, you know, high minded. But sometimes, like, I, I got to tell you the truth. I've had conversations with wrestling fans where I realize we're not talking. The, we're not talking about the same stuff at all. Right. You know, like we're not on the same wavelength. Like I they're not they don't understand business aspects of wrestling. They don't understand history of wrestling. To them, they watch it very casually, and to me, it's not like that. And so I can't even engage or have a real uh, conversation. And so I don't think all I, – I don't think everyone's in the same boat at the end of the day. I think there is a wide spectrum of fandom. I really do. Right. You, you have the, the hardcore fans like us, guys that are doing podcasts, writing for sites, reading The Observer, watching every Road 2 show, watching every piece of wrestling, analyzing the business, and kind of like that kind of that high-end side of the scale. And, yeah, then you have your guys that are super casual. Uh, you know, they watch wrestling. They're not, they're not really going on message boards or dirt sheets and getting extra news and it's kind of have, like, a, a surface knowledge of kind of what's going on. And, you know, the, I, the one thing I will say is, at the end of the day, I pretty much agree with, what, with the spirit of what Dom Homie 101 is trying to say. He's trying to basically say this stuff – isn't as important as being a good human being. Right. A lot of times people can be pieces of crap when they're engaging over something that in the grand spectrum of life is trivial. And that is true. 
But, you know, I do take it seriously at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Star ratings are not a game. Yeah. To me, star ratings are, <laughs> are not a game. You know, they're not a game. I don't play. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Josh would be real quick to correct somebody on a star rating. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, moving on, we're going to get ready to talk about Castle Attack. But there was we got a, another question. I know. There's oh. a question that... Um, I felt it would be a good lead-in to talk about these uh, Road to Castle Attack shows and then uh, preview Castle Attack that came from Reddit user Dramatic Post 7495. It says, a bit of a long one, but I'm just not excited for New Japan at the moment. The in-ring is still good, and there will be plenty of decent stuff on these shows, but it isn't getting my blood pumping. Is this a me problem, or are you feeling the lull? Is there anything COVID-safe that NJPW could do to spice things up without getting into the crazy fantasy booking? Sorry for the bummer question. Keep up the good work. Look forward to your show every week. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, I think it's a great question. I agree pretty much with the majority of what he said there. Uh, I I don't. We're going to do the review, so I mean, I don't have a, anything to really add to it. I I agree with what he's saying. The one thing I would say is uh, when we talk, he he did say, is there anything that they could do to spice things up without getting into crazy fantasy bookings? I feel like. Crazy quote unquote fantasy. I, well, I don't know what he means by that, but like I do feel like bringing in some outsiders potentially, especially if it's done moderately with angles to set up future programs that will be played out in the next tour or tournament. That would be cool, you know, and that's something that they could do pretty easily, I believe. Um, the other thing is they could change things up. Um, you know, we've become very accustomed to how things run in new japan with after this tour it's this tour after this tour it's this tour it becomes very monotonous robotic yeah and there is some some value to that structure but at the same time with the fact that we are in this covid situation we saw them make a lot of changes last year they might want to consider doing some new fresh and exciting things last year got a lot of flack but like them doing juniors against heavyweights was really cool um different things like that so yeah yeah, and I definitely agree uh, with uh, Dramatic Post 7495. I have been kind of feeling that lull. Um, you know, a lot of Row 2 shows, um, with getting some empty Cork and Hall buildings. They had to put, you know, some the black, you know, tarp up with the, with the lion mark to help cover up some of the seats. And I understand it's a state of emergency. It's already minimum capacity. They're, you know, trying to be safe. But it's still, you just lack that energy. There's no energy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the few fans are there clapping, but it's just, it's just, it's coming off just really dry right now. You know how they said uh, you need to scream with your hearts? Well, they're not screaming loud <laughs> enough with their hearts because I'm not feeling it. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and a lot of it too, just some of the feuds is stuff that we've kind of been seeing or it's continuing on. You know, it's. Well, like, like we talked about, they only have so many guys to right. work with, and they're trying to do. As much as they can to get through this tour so that they can get... To, once we get to New Japan Cup, we're getting fresh stuff. Right. So this is just a holdover, pretty much. Yeah. Um, And, and you know, typically, we'd be at New Beginning right now. Yeah, this yeah this would be the start of New Beginning, or I guess the ending of New Beginning. Because New Beginning would have been Fantastic Mania. And also, we probably would have maybe got that ROH show. Oh, on a rising. On a rising, like yeah. we traditionally do, too. I think, what, that's after this? Yes, yeah, so Honor Rising is usually at the beginning of, like, I think, the middle of February. Okay, yeah. I uh, Maybe not. Maybe March. I don't know. But anyways, 
So yeah, they're just they're spread thin. Yeah, they're doing the best they can. <laughs> so we're talk about there's two row two shows that happened the last time since we recorded on the 17th and the 22nd. Um, then we'll and t- that was four. 14, 15, 16, 17. So that's one thing I'm not a big fan of. It's just like, boom, 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 you know? Right, let's space them out, man. <laughs> yeah, give us some time and space. <laughs> God. Uh, so, yeah, so we'll talk about the 17th, 22nd. Take a look at what's coming up on the 25th and then give our official predictions for Castle Attack Night 1 and 2 on the 27th and 28th. Uh, so I'll run through these results pretty quickly and then um, there's some, I think there's a couple questions in some of these matches and then we'll go from there. So on the 17th, we opened up, we had United Empire, Great Okan, Jeff Cobb, and Will Ospreay defeating Gabriel Kidd, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Hiroshi Tenzon. Question from Dundiesel86. He says, is Jeff Cobb in line for some kind of push? He's been getting most of, not all the picks for the United Empire uh, of the, on the Castle Attack Tour. Granted, he's pinning mostly young Lions. I just find it interesting that neither Ospreay or Okan are scoring the wins. I think Cobb looks like an absolute monster. He seems to be in phenomenal shape. It's really starting to do well with the Japanese style. What do you guys think his ceiling is in NJPW? Great question. Um, yes, I do think that they are getting ready to... This is a push of some sort. Now, whether that is going to extend to an elevation, meaning like title challenges, things like that, going far in the New Japan Cup, I can't say. But they're definitely doing a, a good job of giving him rehabilitation wins, just like we saw with Kojima getting all the tag wins back at World Tag League at the end of last year. And he's not alone in this. There's, I think that's been one of the big stories of this tour are particular individuals in certain matches getting a lot of wins to kind of rehab them. And so Jeff's kind of in that, that boat. Um, he does look like an, a monster. He's been doing really awesome. And um, I think his ceiling is probably like IC title level. Uh occasional IWGP title challenger. I could see him definitely being someone in line to challenge for the IWGP title. You know, and personally, there's the big part of me that's a huge mark for, you know, Gary Albright and the Steiners and your Vaders and your Stan Hansons and those types of guys. And I, they used to push those types of characters heavily in all japan and uwfi and stuff like that and new japan isn't really known for that quite as much and i would like i wouldn't be opposed if they did decide to like at some point go with jeff cobb as a top gaijin role you know a a top star gaijin who could like win the title i think that'd be fucking awesome but i just don't know if they see him that way right I do think, you know, especially because you know, the rumor was he signed somewhere, and obviously it's kind of clear that he's signed with New Japan now. I could see him as a dark horse pick for the New Japan Cup um, and kind of feeling almost like that kind of like a bad luck fallet role where that big monster is going to challenge the IWGP champion. I Maybe. I think it's too early, especially since I, I see Will as just being like the de facto leader who kind of needs to get the initial pushes before they kind of have anyone else usurp him. That's just my traditionalist mindset, but I, I could be wrong. You could be right. I don't know. Yeah, I'm saying dark horse. I'm not saying, like, he is, like, a shoe-in. Like, he's going to pick. I think he's the guy that's he's getting a lot of wins, and you can kind of. I know what dark horse is. No, I'm just saying, like, I, I'm, not say, I'm not saying, like, he. I'm 100% like, Cobb's going to win this thing. I know you're not. I get you. <laughs> I, I'm on the same. I understand. All right. <laughs> Here's one thing I want to talk about for this next question, and I don't know how we didn't talk about this last week because it's one of the big news stories, one of the only actually really big news stories about the United Empire. 
Will Osprey's uh, t-shirt or um, polo shirts that are on sale. We didn't talk about that oh. shit. <laughs> um, so there's been a lot of controversy about those uh, polos and also just the gesture, like the hand gesture that Will Ospreay was doing wearing them in the in the promo picture on the Tokon shop um, because they bear a very close striking resemblance to the adopted uniform of the Proud Boys. Yeah. So, Jeremy, what, what are your <laughs> thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I'll see. It's not a good look. Um, I don't know if it was a fair coincidence and this was a design they picked and then the picture came out and it's like, uh, you know, somebody noticed it or, you know, he is doing this kind of arrogant, cocky heel gimmick. I, it, it's a possibility that they were like, well, let me, let's kind of lean into something that people hate to get, to get some heat. Uh, I don't know. But either way, it's not a good look. It's really, and here's the bad thing. Um, I love the look of Fred Perry polos. Like, I hate the idea that this is something that's kind of been co-opted because that type of, like, polo, I think is an extremely, like, sharp-looking look. And I I like, want to wear them, but I don't want to look like I'm supporting (laughs) alt-right, far-right ideologies, you know? Right. Um, to be clear, I'm not far. I'm, I'm, I'm what's it called? Uh, <laughs> pretty much a God. What's wrong with me? Moderate? No, I'm not. I'm not a moderate. <laughs> I'm a, a libertarian, pretty much. But uh, God, I'm just tired tonight. I, I don't know. Anyways, uh, but I, I don't. I hate the idea that like I couldn't wear one of those shirts. But here's the problem. Okay, if you have a bunch of dudes. Go to, like, let's say in California, right, when we start running again. What if you have, like, four or five dudes who are, like, hardcore Will Ospreay fans, if they exist, and they're all, or they just really like the United Empire. They're all wearing those polo shirts, and they're walking down the street. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, it's going to cause some problems. Up. It's fucked up. And it's like, I I don't think it's a, I don't think that they should have that. Plus, wasn't he doing the hand gesture that they do? Uh, no, I think it's different because they have like an empire hand signal thing. But I, but it's the same. Yeah, but the empire hand signal that he's doing looks exactly the same as the one that Drake Wartz was doing. That looks like this. Oh, the Q. That's the Q. Yeah, it looks like the fucking Q. Yeah, yeah that's the same thing. Yeah, it looks like the Q uh, symbol. Like, where do you? Th- <laughs> I don't know, man. It's suspect as fuck. Yeah, it's yeah, it's weird. And here's the thing: I know that like not everyone in America is even kind of acutely aware of what's going on with with this stuff and i'm sure in japan where you know i'm sure this proud boy group isn't in running after right yeah. they don't know but i've got to imagine someone in the company is on some level at least aware of stuff like this to catch it i mean or maybe they're not i don't maybe, know you know we've seen new japan miss on stuff we saw wwe make a racist t-shirt for ach right and yeah. That, that, yeah that got through the cracks and that's a bigger company than this right so it wouldn't surprise me if, if it was a coincidence, but at the same time, it's still... I've seen some people be like, they need to apologize, and I don't know if I would take it quite that far, because I don't know that the intentions here were to emulate that, but it might be. You know, we're we're literally, like, right on the heels of the nation getting stormed, you know, back a few months ago, and uh, most of the people that were involved with that were part of this group and part of, you know... You know, QAnon, and this is not a political show, but uh, it's just, it's fucking weird that they chose that exact polo. Now, there is an argument. Some people could say that they've done polos for other groups in New Japan. 
but no other group has chosen to have the same embroiderment on the arms and on the collar that that's in that same style that looks like uh, the ones that the uh, the Proud Boys wear. So yeah. I, to me, I'm just like, I think it's I think that this was somewhat intentional. I don't think that that's their gimmick that they're terrorists or you know a hate group. But I think that they might have done it intentionally. To try and get some heat. To, to try or, and get some heat. You know, they are the, the empire. They're kind of like this, you know, proud group of guys. And yeah. yeah, so. And I think that's a bad look. And I think they should probably rethink. Listen, guys, if you're listening, I wouldn't buy that shirt. Okay. <laughs> I know it's a good looking shirt. I wouldn't buy it. And I'm just saying because it's not going to be a good look when other people. Right. A group I, of Empire fans are. I'm not saying because I'm going to be offended. I don't give a fuck. I'm just telling you, if you don't know. <laughs> now you know. You might want to not wear that shirt. It's not a good look. Just get you a uh, Ocon question mark shirt. There's there's plenty of great Will Ospreay tees out there. He's got a he's got a store, Pro Wrestling Tees. Buy one of those shirts. Buy one of you know Ocon or one of Cobb shirts. But I. I don't think you should wear that polo, bro. <laughs> uh, so Dun Diesel's next question he says, "Who do you think would be the most exciting matchup for each of the young lions upon graduation?" I think Kid versus CSJ, Suji versus Cobb, and obviously Umar versus Suzuki could all be absolute bangers. Yeah, I mean, no. Well, I want Suji versus um, Naito because that's what they're teasing. I want Kid versus CSJ, and I want Umar versus Suzuki because those are the three matches that they they were teasing on the previous tour. Yeah, and uh, interesting note on Suji, um, Will Ospreay on these last couple of shows have has been kind of trying to get... He's angling to yeah. get him in the group. Yeah, he's like, I'll take care of you, Suji. And of course, Suji's pissed because they're beating up on Tanahashi, and he's, you know, you know Tanahashi's number one fanboy. Yeah. So have he, you noticed that, like, all the all the Lions love Tanahashi? Yeah, but, <laughs> but dude, Suji... But Suji's his personal young Suji line. really loves Tanahashi. Not as much as me, though. <laughs> I don't I'm, see you out there banging on the mat for Tanahashi. I would, bro. They won't take me. You think I could pass? Do you think I could pass a uh, 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 New Japan Dojo test? There's no fucking way I could pass that test physically. Give you some time. They, they can build you up, bro. I'm never gonna pass that test. <laughs> My best bet would be like to maybe like I don't know work the door at a New Japan event or some shit. <laughs> That's the closest I'm getting to working for them. <laughs> oh, man. But um. Yeah, man. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, all, all those matchups, I agree with you. Those are the ones that are building up. Out of all of them, I don't know, Kid and ZSJ, I think they can have, like, a really great matchup. I mean, I know his question was, like, what's the most exciting matchup? But that's, to me, it's like, it doesn't really matter because they're working with the vet, and I just want to see the ones that they promised us. Yeah. So, uh, moving on for the rest of this card, we had the Bullet Club team of Chase Owens, Jay White, and G.O.D., Versus Chaos, um, Goto, Ishii, Toriyano, and Yoshihashi's ended in no contest. After 11 minutes, 41 <laughs> seconds. Not a fan of this. I've not really been a, a fan. Do you like the Chase Owens and um, Yano stuff that's going on? Because uh, surprisingly, I'm not at all. It's what it's it. whatever. Uh, it's uh, I mean I don't hate it, but I don't love it. It's I think it's just because they keep introducing the strap in the matches and. It's the same referee every time being like, oh, <laughs> like, bro, make some provisions that, that a strap doesn't come out in the middle of the fucking match. Yeah, and we, we've been seeing a lot of DQs on this tournament uh, during this tour. So, like, why is it, you know? We've seen a lot of DQs this year. And I was in favor of it originally when we saw it 
for the one really heated feud between Tenkoji and um, United Empire. But now it's kind of spilling out. We're seeing it in the Bullet Club Chaos feud as well uh, in different, you know, variations. And I'm just like, why? Like, why? I I don't want that. (laughs) I just don't want that. Like, I don't think that this feud is warranted to be heated enough to. And then also, yeah, I mean, we saw in matches that involved Okada and Evil. We saw in matches that involved Suzuki-Goon and uh, G.O.D. Now we're seeing it with the Chase Owens and uh, Yano matches. That's a lot of fucking DQs. DQs, no contest. It's, now it's getting to a point where it's being overdone. Yeah. Like, it, it worked great. It, it works great when it's done sparingly and done for a really heated feud. And I get this Bullet Club Chaos feud supposed to be heated with Jay White and Ishii and all this stuff, but... You, you hit it on the head. You said sparingly and purposeful. And that's what it was when it was the feud... With that we that was aforementioned, but now it's just becoming masturbatory. Like they're just doing it, and I'm and it's making me not be like on my toes as a fan. Like, oh, I wonder if if someone's gonna get DQ tonight. Like, no, I don't give a fuck. I'm like, I wonder if I'm gonna have to waste 12 minutes of my time to see a bullshit finish that's not going to lead to any. That's that's literally gonna lead to a KOPW (laughs) match that I don't even fucking care about that title. Like, ah, God. Yeah. It's not good. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, you do it one time throughout the year, and then you don't do it again till later, till next year. Not even again the year. You, you do it so sparingly that it's special and it actually means something. That's the funny thing. I think people think we're going to come out here and cap and, like, you know, proclaim, like, because every now and again, people will have different opinions than us and we'll like something. But then I think they think because we do that once, we're going to just, like, give a pass to everything. It's like, no, no, no. Yeah. God, I don't like this. <laughs> So uh, next then there was uh, Bushi, Hiromu, and Shingo defeating ELP, Taiji Shimori, and Yujiro Takahashi. Semi-main event, we got a singles match here with Sonata defeating Yuji Nagata, 12 minutes and 1 second, clearly with Naito being off the card. Card was shuffled around, it was supposed to be Naito and Sonata against Nagata and Ibushi, change it to a singles match, and I thought this match was pretty good. It was fine. Um, the... I, I mean, anytime you get Yuji Nagata in a singles match at this stage of his career, I'm going to like it. Uh, this is the first time Sonata and Yuji Nagata have locked horns in over 10 years. Uh, the last time was a ch- uh, All Japan Champions Carnival Final. Wow. Didn't realize it had been that long. Yeah. So um, this one was really interesting, but... You know, it was just happening just because of the fact that Naito's not there. So there wasn't really a lot of story there. And, you know, normally I would... Uh, criticize Sonata for, you know, lacking, you know, heat, lacking dry, you know, all this sort of, all, all you know, just kind of meandering, which is what we've sort of criticized him for. But I can't really criticize him for that in this match because there was not really much of a story or build. It, they just happened to be on opposing sides of, of a tag team all throughout the tour. Um, the The actual chain grappling was very good. And then they went into a sequence where Sonata worked the leg for a good portion of the match. And that was fine. But then at a certain point, towards the tail end, Nagata just stopped selling the leg and it never came back into play. I know you can't always 100% feature whatever limb work is done as part of the story. But this one, Sonata spent so much time working on Nagata's leg that it really felt like it was going to be part of the story. And then... Nagata's like, fuck that, stands up. They <laughs> Hold start, his kicks. They just start throwing <laughs> kicks and forearms. 
and then they go to the finish and Sonata, you know, the one thing that was, Sonata didn't, uh, he didn't spin him around. I don't know if you noticed that. He just put him in the skull and dropped him. Moonsault. Tapped, yeah. One, two, three. Uh, that was fine. But um, the match was good. I, I mean, I would go probably three and a quarter on this. Yeah, I think I was like, I think I was like three and a half on it. I, I don't know. You could go through. I mean, it's 12 minutes. Yeah. I, it was nothing special, but I mean, it wasn't unenjoyable, but there, there wasn't a lot of heat behind it. The crowd wasn't really any... You know, it didn't add much. Uh, I thought it was good for what it was, but, I mean, it was a 12-minute match where they went out there and they performed, you know? Yeah. Then the, the main event of the show was Okada and Sho defeating Dick Togo and Evil. Now... <laughs> this is this is my favorite part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know if you caught this main event because when I went to watch this show, the fifth match was it's not, not on there. It's not on there. And Did they add it later? I don't think they've added it since. I haven't gone back to look. No, they've never. They, that's why I said this is my favorite part because we didn't have to watch it. <laughs> uh, they didn't. They didn't. There was technical issues and we missed the main event. Yeah, I, don't, I heard something about show having some indecent exposure that happened during the match. That was par, part of the reason. I, I don't know what what happened there. I've had a busy week. I I didn't go out of my way to go and get. A uh, on-site review for what occurred between Okada and Show when they defeated Dick Togo <laughs> and Evil on the February seventeenth Road to Castle Attack main event. Like I, I, I was just kind of glad. I was like four show, four matches. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then moving on to the twenty second United Empire, they defeated Gabriel Kidd, Tanahashi, and Tenzon. The opener. Can I say one thing about their matches that they're doing different from everybody else? United Empire going out of their way to have different matches every single night of the tour, uh, which is not normally done. We've talked about it, how very often the, you know, like, for instance, the Chaos and Bullet Club Multimans, they're all pretty much kind of the same formula, whereas I've noticed that the United Empire going out there, they're working entirely different matches each time. Which is good to some extent because they're not just wrestling for the crowd. I think they're trying to change things up, keep it exciting for themselves, but also for the viewer who watches on World. They're probably acutely aware that there are other people other than just those in attendance watching this stuff. But it is a double-edged sword because I've also noticed that what you'd come to expect, like for instance, whenever you see these formulaic matches we complain about, they're usually circulating around a particular feud or story. Mm -hmm. And so, for instance, like in these matches, early on in the tour, we saw the United Empire really doing the Mongolian chops a lot to Tenzan. But then when they changed the matches up, they didn't have the same spots like worked out. And so you would have kind of expected them to continue at least that part of it, but they kind of abandoned it a little bit towards the tail end of the tour. So it's like it's double-edged because they're not doing as many of the things as you'd like to maybe see them do from a storyline perspective. But they're also wrestling entirely different matches and styles yeah, each night. Which I appreciate. And I'm sure, I mean, these last few shows have all been in Corkin. So it's essentially, I know it's not 100% the same people, but you're in the same building. as probably a, a good group of people with the same amount of people. Like, I'm glad they're kind of switching up and changing the matches up. Do you think that there's a Corkin United group? <laughs> Uh, there, there could be. I wonder about that. <laughs> they go to uh, TJF Fridays after the shows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, but yeah, the United Empire, they've been looking good um, in these matches. Cobb's been getting all the wins with the tour of the islands on, on the young, li- long, young Lions. And also they're building up for this never title match with uh, Okan and Tanahashi. Then the second match of the night, we had uh, Goto show Yano and Yoshihashi defeating Chase Owens, Jado, Tamatonga, and Tangaloa. 11 minutes, 27, 27 seconds. Are you going to say something? Uh, the one thing I was going to say, I've noticed Okan and Tanahashi have been getting a lot of, um, they've been building their chemistry each night throughout the uh, the tour. That's one of the positive things. Yeah. And it's making me look forward to their rematch. Yeah, I mean, I thought the Wrestle Kingdom match was very good, and I think this this match has the potential to be better than the Wrestle Kingdom match. I agree. Uh, the middle of the show here, we had ELP and Taiji Ishimori defeating Bushi and Shingo. And this is where we got the the post match angle here of Desperado and Kanamaru coming out and uh, laying out Taiji Ishimori and ELP and uh, kind of dropping the challenge there for the uh, junior tag titles this coming up Thursday, uh, February twenty fifth. So, yeah, I mean th- that's a big um, you know development. A lot of people were kind of wondering. You know, like we discussed what was going to happen with the announced uh, injury uh, with Hiromu. And this is the only real logical step that you could take. And uh, they are fortunate that this is an op- an option that they even had. Because, you know, we've talked about how there's a lack of <laughs> junior tag teams to really go with. And so, because the way that they had the booking situated, I mean, Hiromu's departure put two major title matches in jeopardy. So they needed a tag team that not could that could not only compete for the junior titles, but who also had, you know, a top level junior star that's ready to also challenge for the IWGP title, most likely. And that's kind of what they got here, with right? The former champions. And a little bit of story here because these teams are just rivaling, and um, kind of their rivalry was kind of the start of ELP and the, the loaded boot and really getting that sudden death over in Japan. And so there's the whole story of Suzuki Gun trying to, you know. Been, they've been pointing out that something's in ELP's boot, and that that was that's what cost them the titles um, just not too long ago. So, getting a rematch here, kind of rekindling this feud with ELP and Taiji, and uh, it's probably going to lead to a Despy ELP match on Sunday. Yes, I agree. One thing too, um, I know that th- this match wasn't really highlighted here, but throughout the tour. Um, because he was involved in this match, Shingo, I'm really looking forward to the idea that there's probably going to be a Nagata-Shingo feud uh, or or match leading. I'm guessing probably first round of New Japan Cup, it seems like. Yeah. They were, yeah, on the opposite opposite sides in the beginning of this tour. And, yeah, I I love their interactions. I I need a Shingo-Nagata singles match. They've even been sort of toying around with the idea that out on the outside and they've been talking about this in the promos how like Muto and Junok Yama both just won major singles titles and kind of playing up the fact that like Nagata is looking to kind of up his game to get ready for the New Japan Cup because maybe he's trying to emulate what they've also accomplished you know right which is a good little story but he kind of needs to go through shingo to to accomplish it which is not an easy task but that's a match that like i'm i've got earmarked as being like a sleeper you know that's gonna be fucking awesome yeah that's gonna be a banger whenever it happens 
then semi-main event of this show, we had Sonata once again in a singles match. This time he's taking on Hunma. Defeated him in 12 minutes and 45 seconds. Uh, thought it was an all right match. It, it was fine. I don't think Hanma should be put in these situations, but I understand why he was. Uh, the last time these two wrestled again was in All Japan uh, when Sonata was defending the. I don't know how you say. It. I don't know if it's G A O R A or if it's Giora. I don't know if you say the word or if you just spell it out. But when he was defending, basically the their TV title gotcha. in All Japan uh, against Hanma years ago, so. This is like I think the first New Japan meeting in a singles match between these two and Sonata Mame Tap. Yeah, yeah, fine matchup. And again, uh, Sonata, another guy that they similar to like what I was mentioning with Jeff Cobb, who is like getting a lot of the wins and kind of getting rehabbed. Similar idea. Yeah, a New Japan Cup. Obviously, they always have that story of Sonata kind of advancing every year and winning it and going far in that tournament. So he's a guy I, that I don't he, think they should do that this year. Yeah, I think. He, he won a cup. It's it's time for something else. But he is one of those guys that kind of heat up around this time. So fuck that. I could, <laughs> I could see him having you know going somewhat for far in the tournament. Maybe not the finals, but you know at least you know towards the ladder and maybe semifinals something like that. Uh, then the main event here we had Evil and Jay White with Dick Togo and Gato defeating Okada and Tomohiro Ishii. Here's one thing I will say about the uh, Evil Okada feud. Most of the actual wrestling that they've done in their multi-man matches throughout this tour as well as last tour have been good. It's actually been pretty good work. The promos backstage have been pretty good. Any segments that they've done have been good. All that goodwill gets undone when they do when they do bullshit like they did at the New Beginning tour that's that was seen by the majority of the fan base. Right. And that's how people are grading the um the feud and I can't even really say well you should be watching this stuff because I actually think that they were doing good work got to new beginning and fucked it all up you know <laughs> yeah and now they're trying to rehab something that was kind of going good that they that they treated like garbage and so it's like uh the the evil and Okada interactions have been fine and they might even have they might even turn around and have a really good match at Castle Attack. It's very possible, especially given the history that they've had where they've had good matches. But it, this is such like a it's almost a cursed in a sense because of you know the New Japan Cup last year and then also, you know, what they did at New Beginning and you know anything in between. <laughs> right. And then with uh, Jay White and Ishii, one thing that Jay has been doing these last few choking. shows. Was that? I, I was just screaming. The choking. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Jay, he's been uh, going out in the crowd. Oh, yeah. At, uh, to uh, get away from Ishii because, you know, they're not, they're not allowed to fight in the crowd, obviously, due to COVID right now. So right. Jay would run into the crowd and you know, like, ref, ref, get him, get him back. <laughs> um, and so, it, yeah, so that's been something that's been going on in their feud and, yeah, on this tour, the two guys that I've found the most compelling when it comes to character work have been Naito and Jay White. Naito was doing a lot of physical, uh, you know, kind of like mockery sort of. Kind like, of old, old school Naito. Yeah, he was, being, he was being a dick and trolling like super hard all throughout the tour until his injury came up. And I really like actually enjoyed that about him, even though I don't didn't enjoy the, the current storyline between him and Ibushi with the titles because it, it doesn't make logical sense. Uh, on the flip side, Jay White has been doing these other things like verbally 
to really like just get over like what a shitbag scumbag heel he is. And like you said, like stepping over the barricade, trying to get him to come out and fight him in the crowd, which he's not allowed to do. Right. And then like every time they're in the ring, you know, I, I complain a lot about like the verb, the verbal wrestling that happens in WWE, the Johnny Gargano matches, the Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns, you know, Keith Lee being like, I <laughs> am <laughs> limitless. <laughs> but you know, um, I'm a fan of it when it's done good. Like Ric Flair used to talk in his matches all the time. He talked shit and it was great. Or like Andre the Giant like was really great at it. And uh, Jay White has been great on this tour. Just like the things he says to Red Shoes, the thing he says, the stuff he says to the crowd, the stuff he says to his opponents. Like it, it's not the story of the match. It's like a seasoning to the yeah. match. I love it. Also, Jay has been had his eyes on uh, Gabriel Kidd. He's been trying to get Kidd to like clap for him at the yeah. beginning of uh, of his entrances. And so... Wonder if he's trying to get a, a young lion in the bull club. We've been we've talked about this that Jay is just he takes whatever situation is thrown at him and he will audible and find a way to be a really great heel in the midst of whatever the situation is. You know, yeah. Like with Josh, when Josh Barnett jumped over the barricade in San Francisco, he just healed it up. He didn't like run or break character. He just healed it up. And like when they went to cap to uh, to clap crowds, he just like started like trolling them like. <laughs> clapping off beat and stuff yeah. like that. And so he always finds a way to like just be great. It's 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 really good. Um they have been like choking out Ishii every night though. Yeah. And I, I don't I haven't really been into that. Yeah, and there was one night where Ishii he ended up uh choking out Gato and like nobody <laughs> made a save for him. They could yeah. kinda watch Gato get choked out. They did do the uh the spot where they um in this match where they, like, got Gato isolated and they, like, drummed his do, back. Yeah, do the drum thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but no. the match ended basically with um, uh, Ishii on the outside with Jay White. And what they were, like, iso- they were beating up Ishii and choking him, I guess. And then, am I recalling that correct? Yeah, I think so. They're kind of blended together, but I think, I think you're right. And then Okada was in the corner getting corroded by Dick Togo, and after he got done getting choked out, he walked out, hit it, evil hit, everything is evil, pinned him for the one, two, three, which is one thing I was nervous about. When I saw this match on the docket, I was like, it's the go-home to the go-home. You've got the two, two of the biggest matches of, of the tour, and it's a tag team where you've got four strong guys here. Now, there is the logical sense where you could say Ishii could probably eat the pinfall, but he's the only, like, kind of, I guess, lower-tier guy, but he needs to stay strong against Jay White. I was like, oh, my God, they're going to do another 30-minute. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not want to see Evil and Jay White against Okada and Ishii in a 30-minute, so I'm kind of glad they went this way. Um, I mean, Evil getting a somewhat decisive Although dirty win over Okada is a big deal, but then again, it like I don't know. They've been doing so much ref bumps and cheating and choking and DQs and outside interferences and time limit draws. Like it's just a lot of that stuff happening in New Japan right now, and I'm not a big fan of it. And this in a vacuum would have been fine, but it's like more of the same. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad they went with that way too. I definitely would not want to see 30 minutes of Jay and Evil taking turns powdering. Well, that, that that's not good. It's not good that we would rather see a, you know, a cheating finish where they choke the guy and and cheat to get over than to see a, a 30 minute classic. Right. 
you know, that's that's not a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> we should want to see them have the longer, you know, classic match, but I don't. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, take a look at what's coming up here. The go-home show here for the Castle Attack Tour. The last Road to Castle Attack show coming up on the 25th. So opening up, we have Tanahashi, Kojima, and Suji taking on the, the United Empire. Then we have Okada, Sho, and Toriano taking on Chase, Dick Togo, and Evil. Middle of the card, we got Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi taking on Jay White, Tamatonga, and Tangaloa. So a rematch there of the uh, Never Six Man title, but... As of right now, the titles are not on the line for that matchup. One thing I'd like to say about that feud, um, I'm not opposed to what's been going on, but we've seen a lot of G.O.D. and uh, and friends against Goto Ish- and Ishii and Yoshihashi in these different multi-mans, and I haven't really been too big of a fan of them, but the two guys that have been standing out almost the whole time have been Tangaloa and Yoshihashi. Dude, Yoshihashi... He he won that never six man title. Like this is going to be. We talked about it. This is yeah. my title. I'm going to make this thing the, the best title in New Japan. He just is just so fired up. Um, great great facial, great emotion, great fire, great in ring action. Yeah, he's been the highlight on, on the chaos side. And yeah, Tangaloa. I've been saying this for a while now. Tangaloa is low key raw. Like this guy is like a powerhouse. He's you know doing insecurities and like just being a badass. And I love it. I agree. Uh, Trained with that man. <laughs> I did. I know you did. Uh, so moving on to the semi-main event, we had Kota Ibushi, uh, Hanma, and Yuji Nagata taking on Sonata, Shingo. Well, this match will probably change. Well, actually, that's right. Naito is back. That's right. So this match will, is intact. So yeah, Ibushi, Hanma, and Nagata against Sonata, Shingo, and Naito. Well, there is the possibility here. Just hear me out. I don't. I think they're still doing Naito and Ibushi, but let's say they can't. Hypothetically, having Shingo in this spot in this match might be a little bit of an opportunity to transition things, if needed. Mm, like have Shingo pin Ibushi. Oh, like Naito is hurt in the match. Shingo and Ibushi run it post match. Shingo says, "You know, I'm going to step in for him." Naito and, and Ibushi agrees, you know, something yeah. like that. I don't know. And it's not likely, but I'm just saying if you were gonna go that way, that's you here's your here's your out card right here. Yeah. Then the main event for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles, El Fantasmo and Taji Ishimori will defend against against uh, Desperado and Kanamaru. Well, you know, this was a match that we saw previously. We liked a lot. A lot of other people didn't like it based on the amount of interference the amount of ref bumps the amount of uh, weapon shots and that was a little bit overdone i think that we might see there's still two heel teams so we might see some of those elements here but they if they are going to switch gears because the junior title match was supposed to co-headline on the 28th show on sunday they probably need to fill that void i think that they need to flip the titles, get them on uh, Suzuki-Goon, and give Desperado a reason to challenge, which means we're not going to see... What does he call his finisher, ELP? The sudden death. We're not going to see the sudden death here. I don't believe... Or at least not... I don't think they're going to win with the sudden death. I think that uh, Suzuki-Goon is going to figure out how to get past the sudden death 
and trumpet and probably pin El Fantasmo. I think we're going to see Desperado being with Pinchiloco. Yeah, I think what we could see is like ELP, he hits, they, they move out the way. He hits, he hits sudden death on Taiji. Taiji's out, and then it's like a two on one, and then they, and then the Despi pins ELP. That's the way you could do it. I wouldn't be opposed to it. So, I mean, I think we're both in agreement that we're going to have new IWGB Junior Tag Team Champions on uh, Thursday. Yep. So now we move on to predictions for Castle Attack. So we have night one on Saturday, February 27th, opening up the show with the United Empire against Tanahashi, Tenzan, and Kojima. I, I, I don't know that I need to uh, predict anything here. Um, if I was going to put a prediction, it would probably be on the United Empire, uh, just because I don't see any of them ready to eat a loss there. But, you know, I think it's in, it's a multi-man and it's a preview match, so it's inconsequential as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go with Cobb, uh, Tour the Islands on Tenzon. Then we move on to match number two. We have Yoshihashi versus Tangaloa singles matchup. Uh, this one is interesting. Um, this is kind of like one of those situations. We we see this happen every so often in New Japan where they'll have a tag team feud and then they'll do singles matches. And those ones are always kind of hard to really predict, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, what are you thinking? So for me, I'm going with Tangaloa getting the win here because, you know, they had the whole story of Yoshihashi kind of getting that upset win over Tangaloa in one right. of those multi-man matches. And Tangaloa is usually the one they keep strong. He's usually gets the most pinfalls for G.O.D. And so, for, and for whatever reason, they, they just seem to push him a lot. And so I think that he's going to end up, Yoshihashi's going to fight hard, but at the end of the day, it's going to be ape shit, one, two, three, and Tangaloa is going to get the win here. All right, well, let's roll into the next match, too. Just for the sake of discussion, Goto against Tamatanga, you know, opposite side of the coin. I mean, how do you see that rolling out? Do you think that Bullet Club is, or you think G.O.D.'s sweeping here, or do you think we're going to split the wins? So I think we're going to split the wins. So I, I got uh, Goto <laughs> winning this one, just because Goto is the more established singles guy with him and Tamatanga. And so I think it makes more sense to kind of have them on an even playing field going into the tag title match the next day. Yeah, I we we do like a little prediction league with uh, some New Japan fans on uh, Facebook, and I think that this was part of that prediction league. I don't even remember what I predicted because I just figured I think I split the wins too because I think that makes sense. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll 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 just say the same thing as you. I mean, Yoshihashi is not necessarily known for being like a top singles guy um, when it comes to wins losses. Like he does well, but he does. He doesn't have a title. I mean, this is non-title, so it's not like he can't afford to eat the pinfall. Right. Um, there's a part of me that wonders, though, if maybe they have G.O.D. sweep. You could do that. In fact, I think that that's a possibility. I think Tamatonga and Tingaloa might sweep here, so I think that for the sake of this discussion, I think that's what I'm going to predict. Okay. So then we move on to the, KO- <laughs> the KOPW 2021 Provisional Title match. The people have spoken. It will be a YTR strap match as Toriano defends against Chase Owens. So, how did this work the last time that they had to undo the um, with the body slam match? Because I don't remember. Was it like you had to did you had to undo each one each time, or did they keep getting put back up? I can't remember. I think you just. Had to just take them all. I don't. I don't think they got put back up. I think just 
So basically, in this one, whoever pretty much is going to be the last guy taking off the turnbuckle wins. Yeah. So hypothetically, you could have, like, say, Chase Owens gets all of the first three and there's just one remaining, but then Toriano gets it and he wins. That could happen. That sounds stupid. Like, this is a stupid <laughs> gimmick to me. Um, I've never been... A, I mean, I've liked some... People are always like, strap matches are terrible. The Yappa Pie. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys don't know about the Yappa Pie strap, you need to go Google and watch. They're on the network. They're on uh, YouTube. You got to watch Hulk Hogan talk about the Yappa Pie strap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a famous scene in uh, Botchamania. Oh, it's one of the best, like, terrible promos of all time. The Yappa Pie. <laughs> Anyways, um, but yeah, I, I'm, I've never been... Totally opposed to strap matches. What I don't like is the whole you got to hit all of the top four corners in a row to win. Yeah, I prefer it be pinfall. Yeah, I prefer them just like pin each other. I think that's how the Caribbean strap match was with Stone Cold and Savio Vega. Maybe I'm wrong. I'd, I haven't seen it in years, but um, I, I'm not a, I'm not like excited about this at all um, on any level. And I don't think Toriano is losing. I think this should this should just open the show so that we don't have to. Be so so late in the show and watch this shit. Yeah, I mean, this man has KOPW merch. I don't think they are um, taking it off of him anytime soon. Oh, one thing we, we failed to mention, his uh, his trophy broke on the uh, last Road 2 show. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Bro, I'm, I told you, they've got a warehouse of those trophies that they bought on discount. <laughs> yeah, so for, for the Yano fans, it might be entertaining. I mean, I think it'll be, it'll be fine. Um, not really looking forward to it, but... It's going to be there. Um, oh, I felt like there was something. I, oh, yeah, yeah, So, like, today I was on one of the Facebook groups. I know I've been talking shit about the Facebook <laughs> groups, but, like, every now and again I'll jump in one, and someone was like, have there ever been any cage matches in New Japan? And they're like, Evil and Okada should settle their, their, their feud in a cage. And I was like, oh, this question's right up my alley. You know, because I love cage matches, mm-hmm. and I know exactly how many there have ever been in New Japan. So I go online, and, like, nobody knows. Someone's like, I don't think they ever done one. Uh, oh, they definitely did one with Chono. And they're like, but, like, and I was like, so I went in there. I was like, there have been five steel cage matches in the history of New Japan. I list all of them, and, like, I get no love for it. <laughs> I get no love for being, like, the most accurate guy like, in the group with the dates, the exact titles, the, the participants, the events, the names. The types, the, the stipulations, like nothing. So then um, then someone else was like, I don't think they should ever do gimmick matches in New Japan. The reason I like New Japan is because they always have the same rules for every match. And I was like, no, no, they don't. I was like, there have been literally hundreds. I was like, they do them sparingly. But there have been hundreds of gimmick matches. And I was like, martial arts matches. Exploding death time bomb matches, you know, <laughs> strap matches, bull yeah, so rope Suzuki matches. Suzuki in his run with the Never Title was doing a lot of gimmick stuff. Yeah, he was doing bull rope matches and and uh, lumberjack death matches and and you know, Inoki did a uh, they had a ladder match with uh, Omega and Elgin. We've had multiple uh, ladder matches, multiple no DQ matches, hair versus hair matches, you know, two out of three falls, three ways, four ways, like everything, you know, um, just because they're not seen that often, and then. They were like, not since I've been watching it, not since 2016. <laughs> so I had to like list everything. And I was like, I, I got to stay off of Facebook. Like I can't, I can't. De- this is what I was talking about earlier. Like I'm, I, 
There's no way you've been watching since 2016 because, or maybe you weren't paying that much attention because there've been like tons since tons. then. <laughs> yeah. We just had Will Ospreay and Kojima in a no DQ match. That shit was hardcore as fuck. That was awesome. Yeah. So semi-main event of night one, the Stone Pitbull Tomohiro Ishii finally gets his hands on the Switchblade Jay Whiteo. I've got Jay White winning here, um, which like. Based on how I've booked it, it looks like I've got three pretty big singles wins for Bullet Club. This is a heavy Bullet Club featured show. It is. Yeah. Um, also going with Jay getting the win here, I think it makes the most sense. You know, him coming back from the, the big return and getting ready for New Japan Cup season. Uh, I think, you know, Jay's a guy you got you got to get heated up. He's never beat Ishii. I would love for Ishii to be like the bane to his existence and gets another win. And like Jay just cannot get past Ishii. Right. I, I would love that to be the story, but I don't think it's going to be. So I'm taking Jay. I think that this will probably be the match of the night. Um, it's the one, probably the one big match I'm looking forward to on the, on the show. Most of the show. I'm not like that stoked about. Yeah, this is this. Yeah. On paper, this should be the match of the night easily. Then in the main event, we have the, Big New Japan Cup final rematch with Kazuchika Okada taking on Evil. They've had some classics before, uh, most notably the G1 match they had, I believe, in 20... Was it 17, 2018? I cannot remember. I believe it was 2017. Maybe. Uh, but, um, you know, it's a different day. Different characters. Um, same performers, but a lot of time has passed. I'm hoping... I mean... Evil has from time, like I've always said this, he's very inconsistent. Sometimes he's great, and then other times he's lackluster. This has all the potential in the world based on the feud that they've had to be very lackluster. At the same time, we've seen some shining examples throughout the feud, like namely at New Beginning when they started punching each other and like there was heat there, or like mm-hmm. some of the um, the chair sequences where they're laying each other out, you know, ringside uh, during the New Beginning tour. If if they can go out there and do some of that stuff that that I was actually engrossed with, as well as have a, you know, commendable wrestling match, something that that is highly entertaining and you know spirit filled, I'll be stoked. But I'm not anticipating it. The last big match they had was New Beginning, uh, or, uh, New Japan Cup last year, and I, I thought it sucked. So. And based on Evil's track record this year, I mean, there I've I think there've probably been like two singles matches of his I've liked this year, like actually liked, and maybe three, probably the Hiromu match, the Zack Saber match in the G one, and the mm. Yoshihashi match in the G one. Yeah, and he's worked with a lot of great talent this year, and I haven't been a fan, so I, I'm not anticipating really liking this match. I've got Okada going over. Yeah, I got Okada winning, getting that big win, getting the, the monkey off of his back here. Uh, and, yeah, this match, I mean, we're going to see. We, we know what happens in Evil main events. They're, they're too long, and there's uh, Garotes and Dick Togo running in and all Bull Club running in and a ton of interference and cheating and ref bumps and shenanigans. So uh, hopefully they, they decide to go with an, an Okada approach for the main event and, and not the Evil approach, and maybe they can salvage this thing. Well, Okada has long matches too, but the difference is his are good. <laughs> right, that's what I'm saying. Uh, hopefully, they can lay it out minimal interference, because uh, I, I know that 
think Togo's going to show up at some point. There's yeah, you got to make peace with that. I, I, I'm, I, I've made peace with that. I know it's going to happen, but there's a way to, to do it to maximize it for the match and not to overdo it. And so, one thing that's interesting uh, prior to New Beginning, Okada on the on the post matches was talking about how he wanted to bring New Japan back up to his level to the IWGP you know level. Basically, he's talking about like the house style. That hasn't really been the story of this feud at all, but because maybe that's a little too insidery. But to me, I'm wondering if like deep down, that's what the the aim is here is that he's gonna like go out there and give evil a classic and like basically show him like, listen, this is my, this is my company. This is my spot. Here's the level you got to get up to. Let, let, let me carry a kid. You know, <laughs> I hope that's the case. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So we move on to night two on Sunday, February 28th. Open up with uh, Will Ospreay and Jeff Cobb taking on Tenzon and Kojima. I, before we continue, I got to tell you, um, I take back my predictions. I don't think Bullet Club or I don't think G.O.D. is winning their matches back to back on the first night because I wasn't thinking critically. And I realized like, oh, they're having the title match the next night. Right. So I think that your prediction is probably the most accurate. I think Tingalo will probably win his match. And then, um, no, you know, I'm going to flip that. I think. You're going to do a chaos clean sweep? No, I think Yoshi, no, I think that's too obvious. I think Yoshihashi's winning and Goto's losing. Mm. Because I think that we'll get, we'll get to it, but I think it's going to play into to how I, I, I need to. Switch things though. All right, let's okay. let's go back. So Osprey and Cobb against Tenzan and Kojima. Um, I think most likely. I mean, I think Will Osprey and Jeff Cobb are winning here. Yeah, United Empire probably Cobb pitting Tenzan again with uh, Tour of the Islands, or I mean, you could have Osprey pin Kojima again, kind of put the nail in the coffin for sure in that in the rivalry. Next match we have Okada and Ishii and Yano versus Evil Jay White and Chase Owens. Um, I'm assuming Yano will roll up Chase Owens. Yeah, kind of put the the end of that feud. Fourth match of the night. Uh, this is the, or I'm sorry, third match of the night. This is the uh, the big uh, IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Title. We got uh, the Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatanga, Tangaloa, defending against the Chaos Team. Two thirds of the Never Openweight Tag Team Champions, uh, Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi. And in this situation, I think. Yoshihashi will be the weak link and he'll be the one who gets the who eats the pinfall. So I got him winning the first night mm. to prep him to lose the next night. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. I could see that happening. But yeah, I, th- I think regardless, G.O.D. is going to retain here. I, I agree. I think G.O.D. is retaining. Although I wouldn't be opposed. I mean, based on the work that, that they've done in the Never Six-Man division, like... Hey, why not? Double gold Yoshihashi. Yeah, double gold this man. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure who's next when it comes to the 
heavyweight tag team scene. But I'm assuming that if they retain, they're probably both going to go into the New Japan Cup as singles guys, and that will help establish their next uh, title feud coming out of New Japan Cup tour. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure who could who would be next for either team if they won, who would be next. Because it seems like Techers are, t- are taking a break for right now. Well, that's the thing. If if you have Chaos win, you've got a built-in immediate rematch like they like to do with mm-hmm. the heavyweight tag team uh, titles. So, I mean, that is that is an option. I just feel like it's too much um, hot potato with those belts. Yeah. But we saw we saw some of that early on last year. So they could do it. I just I don't think that they should. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I just feel like they, they want to keep G.O.D. strong for right now. And, yeah, I, th- I think they're going to walk out of here with the titles. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, t- that's another thing. It's G.O.D. It's like their record-breaking title run. I don't think that they should treat it, you know, you know, less than the way that they want to book it. So Yeah, and, you know, there's, there's been, I'm not saying something's going to happen, but there has been a lot of back and forth with them and Kenny and Good Brothers. They could be lining something up. I'm not saying they are, but it sounds like they're trying to work an angle, and maybe they're they're gonna keep the titles on on God because of that. Oh, they're not working an angle, bro. That's this is real life. It's a shoot. It's a shoot, brother. <laughs> it's a shoot. It's real, <laughs> uh, bro. Listen, I'm sorry if you're. Oh, God, there's a lot of fans that when this stuff all ends up playing out, they're gonna that that have really worked themselves into like getting this worked up and upset about AEW that they're going to be pissed when they all start working together because they believed these pro can you, could you imagine believing pro wrestlers? No, <laughs> bro. They're professional. They're carnies. They are liars. That is what their job is, is to deceive because they are upholding kayfabe for entertainment purposes. It is I, you know, I called it art earlier, but at the same time it is, it is still, it's a, it's a work. And man, people people listen to like Tama's Island, and it's a good podcast. But like, they get worked hard, and they yeah. think that they think they're like getting insidery. It's like those one eight hundred. Um, the WCW it's like, like the hotlines, the hotlines. Yeah, so when people call the hotlines, and they thought like they were getting insider info, and they're getting worked out of their money. <laughs> the same shit. <laughs> Yeah, dude, they, go, they go to bullet club beach parties and and stuff, and, you know, and block parties, and you know they go into the special, you know, members only groups with these yeah, guys. The happy hours, the happy or, hours, and they think that they're, you know, like this, like like boys with with God, and they've picked their side, and that's cool. I like that aspect of it. I would love if hypothetically, and I mean, I don't want to overdo it with the open door talk, but I would love it if when they did eventually do some sort of feud between these groups that there are fan bases that are very much like I'm pro bullet, I'm pro bullet club. I'm pro new Japan. And then other ones that like, I'm all elite. And because that's how UWF new Japan felt like it was like, I'm in this camp and fuck those guys. Yeah. And that, that like, I would love there to be like a soccer element here, but you know, at the end of the day, people need to realize like, these guys are all trying to get paid. This is business. <laughs> yeah. And this is a this is 100% a work. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And there's people who are very 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 much invested into an, a, a particular narrative and a particular ideology and have, you know, hate in their hearts. <laughs> <laughs> they they're listening to uh Kane from back in the day, they embrace the hate. They've embraced <laughs> the hate, bro. <laughs> Be like Cena. <laughs> 
Cena said no to the hate. Yeah. Come on, guys. It's a uh, work, bro. Anyways, let's talk about uh, the, the fourth match of the night, the never open weight championship title match as our champion in 2021, Hiroshi Tanahashi defends the title against the great Okan. Uh, and we had a question here from Rambo and Slam Pigs. Is it morally wrong for me to be, be rooting against Tanahashi at Castle Attack? I love the Ace of the Universe, but I am kind of hyped for the possibility of Great Okan tearing up the Never Division. I'm what you would call a stan for Hiroshi <laughs> Tanahashi. That would, I suppose, make me a Stanahashi. <laughs> and um, I will not be rooting against the Ace of the Universe. The once in a generation talent Hiroshi, the, the man that pointed at you in New Orleans. He did. He pointed at me because I did his hand signal to him. This hand signal. You guys can't see it, but I'm doing it. And then he looked at me. He saw me doing it, and he smirked and he pointed. And then I, I mean, if you guys in the show, you know the story. <laughs> but no. but I'm not gonna go against him. But I will predict that Okan's gonna beat that ass because that's <laughs> that's what's gonna happen. And when he does it, I'm gonna be heart. Broken because I fucking love Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yeah, uh, I love Tanahashi too. Uh, you know, I would love for Tanahashi to to have a long never title run and to do some cool stuff and face some juniors and face some more strong style guys. You know, face Ichi, Nagata, Suzuki, kind of these kind of never style matches with these guys. But I don't think that's in the cards. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that they're trying to establish Great Okan as um, you know a future star. And I think a big win here over Tanahashi makes a ton of sense. I, I don't think it, it makes sense to have him lose twice to Tanahashi. He already lost Wrestle Kingdom. I think it's time to get the win back, get the never title here, and then continue to build great Okana. Sometimes I like to belabor certain points, but other times um, you do a really good job putting it together. And you, you said the exact right thing. It just wouldn't make sense. And so I don't really, I mean, you did a great job. I don't have anything else really to add to that. Uh, one of the things I wanted to add about Tanahashi and Never Titles, I saw in an interview um, they were talking about like why he doesn't wear the Never Title around his waist, um, and he said, you know, talking with Shibata, Shibata never wears Never Title because he always felt like he was IWGP level, and so he never wanted to wear the Never Title around his waist. He, he told Tanahashi the same thing. Well, I mean, you, you know why Tanahashi? Have you ever noticed that Tanahashi's robes all have the cutout in the middle? Mm-hmm. It's for the IWGB title. This man has designed his robes <laughs> to highlight the IWGB title specifically. Now, I am ch- kind of wondering if he ever wore the icy belt. Yeah, he did. He did? Yeah. I didn't notice that about him not wearing the Never title. I didn't notice it until I read the interview, and I started paying attention to the entrance. I'm like, oh, he's not wearing He's like has it over his shoulder or just kind of carrying it. That's interesting. Well, the more you know. Well, anyways, I mean, that's good to know. But, yeah, I mean, Okan's beating him, so. Yeah. Then semi-main event. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, originally, it was supposed to be Hiromu versus ELP. We are working under the assumption that they're going to build off the tag title match and it's going to be Desperado versus ELP. We don't know that at all. This is just our speculation. And with that being the case, I think that my whole reasoning and thinking was they see Desperado right now at a certain level, and that level is high enough to be in a big-time main event but not high enough to carry the title. And I think that's the situation that we're still in at this current time. But I think they see ELP differently. 
I think that I thought he was going to beat Hiromu Takahashi with the sudden sudden death. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was going to cheat him with the sudden death win, and I think that's the fate that awaits Desperado. I would not be surprised if we see Desperado go on a major run in the Super Juniors, maybe even potentially win it, and chase ELP later in the year. I think that this is potentially the start of a feud between them. Yeah, it could be, and especially with Hiromu gone, you need to create some top guys there and create a new top program, and so I think that could be the way to go. Yeah. Um, I don't see it being like an immediate thing, though, because if you're going to, hypothetically, if you're going to put the junior tag titles on Suzuki Goon, they're going to have to defend those belts and be a little bit preoccupied in the meantime. Yeah. So I see any sort of like follow up happening post Super Juniors, maybe during the Super Juniors, something like that. Yeah, you could have them face off again in the same block. Potentially, yeah. But that's what I, I, I've got, no matter what. Depending on what happens, I think El Fantasmo is going to be our new junior champion coming out of Castle Attack. That's what I got, too. I think he was going to end up beating Hiromu, and so I think, regardless of what happens, yeah, I feel like he's going to leave Osaka with the junior title as well. So uh, our main event, which we're assuming at this current time is still exactly as booked, and this is the one that I feel the least confident is going to actually happen the way it is. Uh, it is the IWGP Intercontinental Championship title match between Kota Ibushi and challenger Tetsuya Naito. Um, and this one's interesting because I thought for sure Naito was going to win the title just based on everything. Um, what are some what are some like realistic scenarios that you could see here? I mean, do you think that there's a potential Naito's just fine and he's just going to win the title? And just move on. And what have you kind of thought of the story? Because a lot of the shit that we talked about. Remember last week I was like, yo. I haven't heard what he's been saying. But like the initial things he said didn't make sense. But as we've gone on further. I have heard some of these interviews. And they just. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> they don't make sense. Yeah. I mean. I think a lot of what happens here depends on the state of Naito's knee. If it's. Somehow he escaped that that you know that role from Nagata with some kind of sprain and he's fine and he can compete in the match and win the title. I, I think I still think if he if he's healthy, I think he's winning the title and that's gonna be their way to finally separate the titles and be able to use that IC title to, to main event some um, B shows. If he's not healthy, if he like if he needs surgery, like I think he'll still try to do the match, but Abushi wins. Um, well, there's a lot of things I'm concerned about. It's like, okay, if he's quote unquote healthy, well, what does that mean? By what standard? Healthy enough to continue wrestling? And at what level, you know? Mm -hmm. Plus, we got a New Japan Cup tournament right around the corner. So let's say hypothetically he wins. It's going to be a little while before he defends the belt. And is he at a health level right now? Where he can do that competently, you know, are they hoping are they hoping to put the belt on him and by you know kind of wade in the water, bide time, and get to a point where he can uh, competently defend, or are they going to have to turn around and have him drop the title pretty quickly after that? Yeah, I think the good thing with New Japan Cup coming up right after this is a it's New Japan Cup, so he could easily get knocked out in the first round by somebody big. And he's then, still got to be on tour, right? 
you, you can hide him in multi-mans until the, the end of the tour and then have him defend against whoever knocked him out if he can uh, do that. Well, the other thing, too, is like, well, what if they decide to do the match because they don't want to false advertise? It is what most people are buying their tickets off of and everything like that, and it's a big money match, and um, but they need to have Ibushi retain, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the whole story has been that Ibushi wants to um, unify these two titles, and we don't even know exactly what that means. Does that create a new third title, you know? Uh, or does that, um, you know, just completely eliminate, say, the icy title, and now it's just amalgamated into the other? We're not really sure, and I think that that's part of what the storyline concern that Naito has uh, for the situation. Um, I read some of the things Abushi was saying. Uh, I, they weren't great translations, but he was basically saying that to move forward and honor these two different titles' lineages... We needed to progress. And I'm just kind of paraphrasing. Yeah, I saw yeah. And he was alleging that the new title would be an IWGP world heavyweight titles, like what he called it. Yeah. Which, I mean, that is something you could do. You could create a new belt. I mean, it's not like New Japan has never had other world titles. They've had at least three other world titles that are maybe... And if you count some of the other recognized outside partnership world titles, like the NWA title, the WWF titles, they've had more, you know. Um, but for the better part, since like 1987, the IWGP title that's in its current incarnation has been the standard bearer for the company. And it's one of the most revered world titles ever in the history of wrestling. It would just be... Uh, to me, I would be like flabbergasted that they might hypothetically do do like a new lineage of these two combined belts. Yeah, how would you feel if they kept the lineage but changed the name of the title? I mean, you could do that. Um, that WWF has done that yeah. in the past. They've like they've unified the world heavyweight title, which was like basically the WCW title into the WWE title and called it the undisputed undisputed. Uh, when Randy Orton did it, they called it the WWE world heavyweight championship, but it retained the original buddy Rogers, 1954 or 1964, whatever is um, lineage. So they could do that. And then eventually they went back to just calling it the WWE title, which is maybe what would happen here. They call it, the IWGP world title, and then it's just known that it's the same lineage, which is, I I guess I'd be fine with that. What I what I what I'm con- what I don't think is necessary is creating a new lineage, though. Yeah, that I hope they don't do that. Uh, like you mentioned, like the IWGP title, like that that history, like you you can't just redo that history, um, and the the great title matches and great stars and great moments that come attached with that that lineage and that history has been built up so well um, over the years. And so, well, here's the thing um, in all Japan, they did the triple crown in like 19, I think 88 and the three titles that they, the PWF, the all Asia, I, I don't know. I can't even remember the name, the national heavyweight title, the NWA national heavyweight, the PWF world heavyweight. And then the, uh, I think it's the all Asia title. I don't know. I always forget. All three of those had extensive 
long respected heritages that were comparable and at least two of the belts um, went back to the JWA, went back to Luthez and to Rikidozen. And then the third title was the title that Baba created when he started All Japan, the PWF title, and he defeated, quote-unquote, 10 world champions to establish that lineage. And then they eventually acquired the other two belts later on. So they had three, essentially, top titles concurrently, which was kind of necessary because here was the, the situation you had at the time. Baba had to always be a world champion, being the top draw domestically. But because he was going to be the champion, you needed other top titles for Saruta and Hanson and whoever, you know, Abdul the Butcher, whatever, Billy Robinson, people like that. But once Baba was out of the picture, there was no need to have three top world titles. And it actually made sense for them to start a new lineage because when they amalgamated all three of them, which one was the most prestigious? Well, it depended. The The answer was whichever one Baba held. Right. That was the one. And he held all of them. <laughs> so it really just kind of depended. That was a different situation because you had three titles that were basically on the same level in stature. And so when you created the All Japan, the, the Triple Crown, you're creating something that was greater than the sum of its parts because it took all three lineages, ended them, and said, this is the ultimate title. But you don't have that with the Icy Belt. The Icy Belt, while it is definitely revered, it's it just pales in comparison to the history of the IWGP title. Right, the IWGP is already at that ultimate level. It's already the ultimate title. Right, and I know that there is an argument to be made that the company has too many titles and they could probably do without the IC belt, um, but I feel like they, you know, they did, in a cer- to a certain extent, they elevated the Never Belt this past year and they did, they were able to draw with it. Now they've got on Tanahashi. So could they, over time, elevate that to be a, a number two title? Yeah, they could, but I don't know why you would need to do that when you already have a hierarchy established. It seems like a waste of the white belt, which they'd already done a, a fantastic job getting it over to that level when they had top headliners holding that belt like Naito, like Tanahashi, like Jericho, like Nakamura, and they did big business with it. And it's already kind of seen that way. They've headlined, headlined a Wrestle Kingdom with the thing, for God's sake. So um, that's my whole thinking is I still don't think that they should you know, unify them. Uh, I guess that whole rant was to say this. If Kota Ibushi needs to retain it, is there a chance that maybe he doesn't unify them? Maybe maybe there's a story they could tell. <laughs> Stories. <laughs> a, a moment. Maybe there's a moment that they could create where, like, Naito loses, but Naito brings him over to his way of thinking. Mm. And that facilitates Ibushi realizing... I would be dishonoring instead of honoring these belts and these lineages and the men that held them. I'd be doing a disservice to them and the fans by getting rid of it. And then maybe going forward, you have a, if we see Abushi defending both like individually, maybe he does drop it. Maybe he vacates it. Like we've said, he should have done all along. And then the winner of new Japan cup gets it. If that is the, I, I still would have issues with the idea that Naito's stupid enough to only challenge for the one belt. <laughs> but at least if that's what they ended up doing, Abushi Abushi wins, right? Mm-hmm. 
So you don't devalue him as the champion. But Naito gets the moral victory in bringing him over to his way of thinking. And it creates a, a scenario where the IC belt is dropped honorably. I think that's the best outcome. I hope that's what happens. And in fact, at this point, based on me saying it, I'm just going to predict that that's what happens. <laughs> Although I think it's a, I think it's a long shot. Yeah, I don't know. For I think if if Naito's you know good to go, I think they're going to put it on Naito. There's also the fact that we have a vacant IWGP Junior Title right now. We don't know what's going to happen with that because nothing as of the time of this recording has been made official. So how? you know, likely would it be that they also vacate the icy belt at the same time. That would seem like a lot of vacant belts, which I don't think maybe they'd like to do that. Um, so I, I do agree with you. I think the most likely scenario is Naito wins. I just think, I still think his knee's fucked up. And yeah. so that's what, like, I'm like, if his knee's fucked up, it, like, uh, not only is the health issue there. There's also the fact of like, what the fuck does he want to do with this belt? Because abushi has been talking about this in the post matches. It's like, what does he want to do? Because he's been extremely cryptic about it. Sometimes the way he's talking makes it sound like he wants to defend it. Other times makes it sound like he wants to win it and then vacate it himself. So he can <laughs> say he's the last guy that held it and he's not, being forthcoming about what he actually is trying to do. And I think the reason he's not being forthcoming is because the story actually doesn't make sense. And the only way that he can like, instead of falling into the trap of like, I'm going to give bad logic. I'm just going to be, be mysterious, I'm gonna be mysterious <laughs> about it. So well, I don't have to commit to any of these bad, you know, bad stories. Yeah. I know he's been saying he has like special plans for it. And also with uh, Hiromu's injury, my, my uh, anniversary show theory went out the window there. I was predicting that it was going to be Naito versus Hiromu for the IC title. Well, Oh yeah. Well, both of them are hurt. Yeah. God, <laughs> damn. That sucks. I know, man, that could have, I was waiting for that victory lap. But that's the thing. Naito isn't, he, there are times in his story where he really sounds like he wants to win it. So he can continue to honor it and carry it and defend it. And there's other times where he sounds like he wants to drop it himself because that's his goal. I was the last guy to hold it. Now it's done. I I I did away with it. You know. Yeah. It's like when Undertaker tried to save Paul Barron, then he killed him himself. Yeah. <laughs> SummerSlam. <laughs> I think it was Great American. Oh yeah, Bash. Great American Bash. Yeah. Um, uh, so I mean, this story's so convoluted, but you know, there is this new. I'm not necessarily excited. I was excited about it initially just from the in-ring standpoint when they announced it because these guys always have great matches. But now I'm more like just, I think it's, I, I don't know what to expect. Yeah, there's, I, there's too many question marks. Like, A, is Naito even going to be able to wrestle a, you know, a main event quality match? Then but. there's the other option where if, like we talked about, they need a substitute because Naito might not be, able to, to perform. And then it does seem like at that point, maybe Shingo should be the guy, but then you run into the same issues that were brought upon when we first discussed this last week. Should the IWGP champion be dropping the, the IC title to anybody? No, because it still makes him look weak. And then it's like, all right, well, Shingo beat this guy. Now Shingo should get a title. IWGP title shot. <sighs> Shingo is the one guy that's free though. The one guy that's free that, I mean, he's perfectly slotted to be, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I mean, he's not doing anything on these cards really. Right. And 
they were teasing and all the same reasons you mentioned. Um, provided Shingo ends up in the match, do you think he beats Kota Ibushi? Uh, I would say yes. And does that sound crazy, though? It does. <sighs> I'm going to go with my prediction that Kota Ibushi and Naito have a match that is about Naito teaching Ibushi the importance of the IC title <laughs> to convince him in losing that Ibushi shouldn't combine these titles. And hey, Gato, if you're listening or anyone who has his ear, that one's free. There you go. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. I salvaged this shit. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah, I'm just going to predict uh, Naito or Shingo. I just don't think Ibushi should be losing. I don't think he's so. the IWGB champion. I don't think so either, but I just have a feeling that that's what they're going to do. You know, and I haven't felt strong about him on this tour as being champion. Like, he's been just non-factor. Yeah. He's just been there. Like, I mean, he's fine. Like, I'm not, like, complaining that he's champion or anything, but I'm just, like, not really invested. Uh, Character-wise, nothing's really been happening. He just gets, he's been getting beat up and, uh, I mean, him and Naito, when they were wrestling in the multi-man matches, it was good shit. Yeah. But I don't know now. Yeah, I, I just feel like they, they want to get that IC title, be able to use it for to main event shows, uh, especially all of these, these double night shows. It's great to have the IC title in that role, especially if you're going to have a lesser star with the junior title. It makes more sense to potentially main event with the, the IC title. So that's why I'm thinking they're going to go with getting that belt off of Ibushi. Well, uh, night two looks better than night one. Uh, I'm excited, though, to kind of see what happens, although I'm not. <laughs> this is, like, one of the, the least invested I've felt for a major show, especially this time of year, in a long time. Um, and it's just because of the state of things. Yeah, I think there's so many things that are affecting the, the hype for this show. It's, you know, coming off of a week, new beginning in Hiroshima, got a state of emergency with these smaller crowds, less energetic. Um, they They that, are... Either sold out or close to sold out for these shows, though. So I think having an energetic crowd will probably help quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, that is going to do it for the Castle Attack talk. Let's uh, let's talk some American wrestling. Yeah, so New Japan Strong, we had night one. Of one thing I wanted to say, and I've been wanting to say this for several weeks now, because uh, I don't know exactly when they did this, but they changed the intro video. Yes. Yeah. For New Japan Strong. Bro. The the intro video to New Japan Strong is, in my opinion, one of the all time greatest intro videos for any wrestling show I have ever seen. It has very very strong Nintendo sixty four Aki energy. <laughs> like it reminds me, it, it it's NWO versus WCW Revenge. It's World Tour. It, it just has that feel to it. It's fucking awesome. Like, um. It's a really smart intro because they got a, they got awesome music, and then they, they show incorporate like the the, the the grunts and the chops and like the slaps and yeah, and they they and what they do is they have each character come out and their name like scrolls over with this really dope ass graphic and it shows them like brutalizing people and it kind of tells you a little bit about who they are as a character. It reminds me of like when you turn on like. NWO versus WCW Revenge and their the intro video like gave you a little bit of a taste and backstory of who the guys were. It feels like that. Whoever put this uh video together, A plus work. I fucking love that intro video. 
I, I never really rave about that sort of stuff, and I think it's so good. Yeah, so we had a night one of New Beginning in USA this past Friday. Opened up, we had Adrian Quest, Mysterioso, and Rocky Romero defeating Barrett Brown, Ray Horace, and the DKC. 10 minutes, 13 seconds. Then in the semi-main event, we had Mr. No Days Off, Fred Rosser defeating Hikaleo. 10 minutes and 40 seconds. What did you think about Fred Rosser cheating to beat Hikaleo? Uh, it's kind of weird because um, he's supposed to be Bayface, and you know the whole story is you know he's been trying to get revenge on the Bullet Club for being these dastardly cheating heels, and so I guess it kind of works. That he's getting one up on them yeah. for for them cheating on him all the time. So yeah, I mean that is something that like back back in the eighties, especially in the early eighties, you'd watch like say territory wrestling, especially like WWF in New York, and um, you know a lot of the good guys would get comeuppance by using the same heel tactics back on the bad guys when they were, like, wronged. The only thing is, like, I didn't really recall, like, you know, I don't, I, usually the way you do it from a logical standpoint is that, like, if they do something to you, you do the exact same thing back to them but better and harder, you know? Right. But this was him, like, this came off as sneaky is the reason that I wasn't a fan of it was because he reached and grabbed Hikaleo's hair and rolled him with the hair and pinned him and held the hair down when that's like something that's like not like I'm a fiery badass baby face and I'm gonna fuck you up. This is like I'm a dastardly, sneaky, sniveling heel kind of move. I didn't think it was a good fit for a good guy. Yeah, I think the problem is they want Hikaleo to continue to look strong, Be protected. yeah, and have an out for why he lost this match. I'm sure they'll have a rematch on the line. Um, but you know, if you want Hikaleo protected, then don't book this match and don't beat him. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason. I don't think there's any reason he couldn't beat Fred Rosser. Right. It's Fred Rosser. Or feed him somebody else. Like, there's tons of people that they have on that show that they could give Dick Leo to get a, a I mean, win. I think Fred Rosser's been pretty pretty good on the show. Yeah, he, I think so, too. Uh, he's fine. But, like, in the hierarchy of the company, I don't see any reason Hick Leo couldn't have just beat him. But he, I, they, I'm sure they probably will do some return match down the road. So Yeah. Uh, the main event, though, the one everyone was, you know, anticipating and uh, waiting for... Uh, El Fantasmo taking on Leo Rush. All right, you know you had your your hot take on on Leo Rush. So what do what do you think here? It held firm. <laughs> it held strong. <laughs> this match was fine. I maybe I'm wrong here. I think I liked the J Cup match better than this match. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like there's a little bit more like just hype and buzz behind the J Cup match. And they got entry. more time here. Yeah. They definitely got more time to do more things, but I don't know if that was even necessarily a good thing. Um, like it was just kind of there. Like it was fine. I guess the thing that was good about it was, you know, kind of the storytelling with um, ELP beating him using the sudden death again. But I mean, there was nothing outstanding in this match. And I saw a lot of people kind of like exactly what I've been talking about. Like because of Leo Rush's, um, like name and name past, and, and, past and, and reputation. Yeah, because of his reputation. That's the word I was looking for. Because of his reputation, people over they overhype his shit. This wasn't I wouldn't call it bad, but people were like, that was a great main event. It was okay. It was fine. It was in line with anything else that I've ever seen from um from fucking, you know, New Japan Strong. It wasn't as far as that that six man from last year. No, not at all. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was fine. One thing I didn't I like, and I know it's because it's how it's taped, but, like, 
at this point, like ELP has already like named a sudden death, and it's kind of like there's a, there's a story behind it, and like none of that was mentioned on commentary at all. Well, that's because this was recorded in it, December before he right. That's what I'm saying. I understand it's because of the, um, but which good on them, you know. Um, this is something that they had foresight into, and they kind of knew that they were going to be going with when they did the recording in December prior to Wrestle Kingdom, which is really what the kickoff of. I mean, yeah, he'd kind of been doing that in the feud with uh, uh, Suzuki Goon, but it kind of really started with, like, Hiromu Takahashi. Right, yeah. In fact, I think the Hiromu stuff happened before the, uh, yeah, because that was on the New Beginning tour. So, yeah, th- that was, like, the actual official start of this whole thing. Right. I mean, he's, he was teasing it on Strong, and then the real, like, startup was, yeah, during the Hiromu match. Yes. So, I mean, and with that all being the case... um, you know, I, I guess what I was trying to say was, like, good on them for trying to keep a sense of continuity between the different shows and having that, you know, um, you know, sense of presence to, to do that ahead of time because, you know, that's one of the complaints we've had about Strong is the fact that th- there are continuity errors because of the way it's, like, shot beforehand. Yeah. So then moving on, this coming up Friday, the 26th, we have the... Big show here with the the main event for the IWGP US title. John Moxley finally defending against Kenta. We also got Ren Narita versus Chris Dickinson in the semi main, and then opening the show is going to be Brody King, ACH, and the Regal Twins taking on the DKC, Kevin Knight, Clark Connors, and TJP. Um, on Chris Dickinson, we had a question from Don Diesel eighty six: Can we please get Chris Dickinson in the G one this year? Dude is so believable. I think Chris Dickinson is great. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to him being in the G1 whatsoever. I think that would be great. Uh, But I also think if he does end up in the tournament, people kind of have to temper their expectations. He would go into that tournament and be like a two to four point guy. Yeah. And not because he's not great or anything like that. Because he's so low on the totem pole. He's so low on the totem pole. Like, I, I don't know if I could see them realistically... And people, people are going to think I sound crazy when I say this, but if you're watching, I sound completely, you know, um, this makes all the sense in the world. You can't put Chris Dickinson in over Yoshihashi mm. based on the work that Yoshihashi has done over 2020 and 2021. There's just no fucking way that can happen. And Yoshihashi slash, probably Yoshihashi at this point, he's, the litmus test of like, he's probably the last guy or one of the last couple guys that's going to get in when they start making their cuts. And you kind of have to ask yourself within the kayfabe of the company and, and the spots that are given, you're going to put in an outsider over Yoshihashi. Yes or no. Jeff Cobb is a yes right now. Chris Dickinson's no, maybe, you know, I, I think it's too soon. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll see what happens, but I do think he would be a great addition into tournament and would have some fire matches. Um, a lot of things could change if if they decided to bring him to Japan, say now as a surprise in whatever capacity or role. Build him up. Build him up. Maybe he's in the New Japan Cup. Totally different story, different scenario. You know, then then we're talking about like you know within a matter of months months he could be a shoe in. Right. If they wanted to give him that kind of push. But I don't, I mean, I haven't heard anything, you know. Yeah, I haven't heard anything either. And, yeah, I think 
Again, he could fit the mold of just one of those guys I want to keep on, on the U.S. show for now. He's so good, though. Yeah, he's awesome. I, I have concern that they've got a, what is this, the first, uh, they got a eight-man tag and then another singles before they do Moxley and Kenta. So we had wanted them to really dedicate de- the whole hour, yeah. Or at least I would have been fine with it being a two-match show. Yeah, open up with Narita and Dickinson and then... Give them like 10 minutes and then give the rest of the half hour to Moxley and Kenta. They don't even have to go half an hour. You know, I'm talking... Hype video, Hype video. Promos. Promos. Recaps what's happened on Dynamite and all the stuff. And they go a solid maybe 15 to 20 or whatever it is that they... Probably 20-ish. Maybe a little more than that. Um, But I don't know if that's what... I mean, they could get these other matches done quick. Right. Dick. I mean, Dickinson's probably going to beat Narita, I'm guessing. Although, I mean, I don't know. Narita beat... Uh, Bateman. Bateman, so it's hard to say. And then the eight-man, you know, whatever that will end up being, who knows. So maybe they will get a good portion of time. Yeah, I hope so. Um, that being the case, we've got some questions here regarding Moxley and Kenta. This is like the most anticipated... Uh, Episode strong of all time. Yeah. Wiz Factor asked us, um, wasn't able to ask this last week, but in light of the TV ratings during the Kenta match on Dynamite, can we really say that the Forbidden Door is good business, at least for Tony Khan? I get that Kenta isn't the best that New Japan can offer, and the match happened on impeachment trial night, but do we have any indication that an ongoing partnership between the two promotions makes business sense and isn't just for the hardcore fans? Yeah, so obviously we don't really have any, you know, hard evidence to really point to to say this is going to be good for AEW's business. Uh, but you got to think with the right guys, the right programs, the right feuds that it, it will be um, an increase in, in TV ratings. Obviously live events is kind of hard right now because they're only doing a certain capacity and it's all Daly's place. But I think, you know, bringing over a new Japan guy, if this was a pre pandemic time, they would, you know, pop a house and they would, it would help sell out whatever arena they're going to. Um, I mean that this question is, it's a good question. It makes sense. But then there's a lot of things that you do have to think about and you threw out some of them and they are valid. You know, it's not like they're not valid. The fact that they were on the impeachment trial night, um, there's also the fact that we discussed last week that they didn't necessarily hype up his coming to, uh, I was about to say impact, <laughs> uh, to AEW, you know? So there, there's probably an unfamiliarity with who he is and, and everything like that. Um, but at the same time, this is kind of how you introduce characters it's not historically always been the case that when you do something that's new, fresh and exciting, that it always translates immediately to higher ratings. You know, it it would be a fallacy if I were to tell you, you know, like, well, let me ask you, Jeremy, what do you think's like the most prolific promo of the last like 10 years, 15 years? The one that sticks out like to probably most people if you ask them that, that are hardcore fans, a pipe bomb. It's definitely the pipe bomb. Do you think that their ratings went up, like, at all within the next month? No. Like, they didn't do anything. Um, I don't think the buy rate for Money in the Bank that year was significantly greater either. But it made Punk 
a colloquial hero. And long-term, they did big business with him. Big business. And that's because they put in the investment initially, and then they gave it enough time to kind of unfold. And I still think they fucked up a lot of what they did with him. And he could have been a bigger deal than he ended up being. Right. So, I mean, just because they did one angle, and then the next week they did a match, and the match didn't do well, it doesn't mean it's a failure or that that is a key indicator of what what a working relationship between the two biggest you know um, companies outside of WWE could potentially be. Um, I I don't see. I think the question is: Is there any? The question you asked is: Is there any indicator that this would be bad for business? I uh, think okay, that it would be good for business. I think the question you have to ask is: There any indicator that it would? not be good for business because from all logical standpoints, how could it not be right? You know, because excitement surprises and things like that have always been a part of what draws and excites wrestling fans. And, you know, we talk about this idea of what a hardcore is. Well, the hardcores are the people that are diehards now, but there was a time where there were a lot more hardcores than there are now. There, there were like nine million watching every Monday night, and at some, I think at one point there was like nine on, you know, seven, eight on one side, and like six, five on the other side. So you're talking about like 11, 12, 13 million people watching WWE and watching WCW, you know, plus whatever you know, fringe lunatics were trading tapes and watching ECW back then. Right. So you're talking about a lot, lot more people. And um, a lot of that was driven off the backs of surprises and excitement and changes and jumps and, you know, and that stuff is good for business. And I think what Tony Khan and them are doing and investing in working with other companies has proven to be good in the short term, at least for like impact and some of these other groups and, and definitely the workers. But I think long term, it's going to be something that betters the business. And I think it's, smart and a good idea for new japan to be part of that yeah and like you're saying right now there's just not enough you know evidence to prove that it it wasn't good for business and i don't think there's going to be any evidence that comes out that's going to be bad for business um i don't think you know bringing you know tanahashi on tv is going to lower their ratings or make people less inclined to go to daily's place to you know watch AEW. Um, I think it's going to, eventually, we're going to see the signs. You're, you're going to see the ratings. You're going to see the tickets. You're going to see the merchandise. You're going to see the pay-per-view buy rates. Like, there's going to be business to come. Like you said, it's a, it's a long-term play. The thing's not going to happen overnight. I will admit, I thought it was puzzling that they didn't do better because, for me, I thought this was an exciting angle, but obviously, I'm a New Japan mark. But it, what it tells me is that there's probably a learning curve for, um, you know, people that are only maybe accustomed to the AEW product and they're not going to be initially drawn in by an outsider. But at the same time, you do a match like the match they had, which was awesome. And then you keep doing these surprises and you start to condition your audience to learn, hey, I might not know who XYZ wrestler is, but every time they've done this... It's been awesome. It's been, yeah. Now I'm learning that I need to know who these people are, you know, and it becomes like you want to be on the inside because that's the cool thing. And that's how you, that's how you grow your base and your audience to potentially, you know, be, be the hardcores, you know, you want, you want more hardcores than just the hardcores you have now. Um, another thing too, I thought about is like, you know, back in WCW's day, 
some of the people, a lot of the people that ended up being like the top, top, top stars, right? Ray Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Jericho, Dean Malenko, you know, all these different names. They were people that the casual fans would watch WCW and see them and complain. Think they're geeks, yeah. Think they were geeks and complain about them. And long term, they ended up being like the guys that carried the business and were some of the biggest stars, Benoit, people like that, mm-hmm. you know, for WWE because they got utilized differently. So I also think that there could be a, that possibility where like, you know, just because initially people see Kenta and they're not drawn to him doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that that is the the overall indicator of what this uh, what this partnership could could mean for business for for both sides. My one thing is I still just want whatever this ends up being to um, align with whatever New Japan's goals are as a company long term because I still think that they need to try and get a television deal on on U.S. television. Right, well, that leads into what we're going to talk about right next in the news. So there. Well, ha- before you do that, did you want to um, give your prediction for this match? Oh yeah, um, I'm going to go with Kenta getting the win here. I have Kenta winning as well. Um, I'm guessing through some sort of nefarious means. Yeah, I would be pretty surprised if they kept it on Moxley. I'll, I'll pretty much be flabbergasted. Yeah, which just means that... What if that was, like, the deal? Like, you can use Mox, but he's got to retain. <laughs> that could be... It. Could could we see Kenny Omega come in, cost Mox a match? I think I made a joke about that the other week, didn't I? I think you did, yeah. I think I might have, and I, I would be... I wouldn't know what to think about that. Dude... Think about that. Kenny Omega on New Japan programming again. Well, you know, it would it wouldn't not make sense because they've got a huge match coming up for pay per view and that's not far away. So maybe that's been the plan all along. If that happens and this was shot in December, that's gonna tell us a lot about the timeline of this working relationship and yeah. this deal. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of deals, and you, you mentioned you, you want to see New Japan back on, you know, American television getting a TV deal. Well, in the news, there's been significant significant talks uh, between New Japan and Access Television, which they used to be on. Access wants New Japan back, uh, which means we could be seeing more partnerships with New Japan and Impact. You know, this past week we saw Finjuice make their debut on Impact. Um, there's no deal at this time, but there are talks enough to where the odds are considered decent um, at deals and a deal might end up being reached. This also coincides with impacts on its history shows on access featuring more New Japan talent. They've done stuff showing AJ Styles versus Hiroshi Tanahashi uh, that happened in the past in TNA. Um, that was in uh, 2006. And so they've been showing a lot of, you know, Tanahashi and some of the guys that have come over from New Japan on a lot of their um you know, highlight content or featured, you know, historical content. So could potentially be seeing New Japan back on access. With that being the case, this past week, Finn Juice uh, defeated the Reno Scum uh, in a tag team match. It was short, sweet, pretty good, but, you know, nothing, you know, I would say if you, you know, and the cool thing is it's on New Japan World now. So Right, yeah, there's an Impact Wrestling section now. Yeah, so if you want to watch that, that's available to you. Yeah, I watched it on, uh, on New Japan World. And after the match was over, the Good Brothers came out. They're the Impact World Tag Team Champions. That's uh, Guns and Gallows, Luke Anderson, or Luke Gallo, Carl yeah. Anderson, and yeah. 
Luke yeah. Gallows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm having a weird night tonight. Uh, and then they kept referencing the fact that when they were in New Japan, Finn Juice, you know, they were the young boys, basically. Yeah. And then, you know, Finn Juice cut a promo about how they're no longer young boys and, you know, maybe they're going to come after those titles. So, yeah. So definitely a program there. So, yeah, we're seeing New Japan and Impact working together. There could be a potential to get New Japan back on access, which we know at the time was, you know, a great program for access. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that's where they end right back up. So we had we we've also got news stories revolving um, comments from Cody, Tony Khan, and Kenny Omega. Uh, you want to kind of paraphrase what's going on with them? You know, it's more open door talk, I guess. So. Yeah. So with Cody, kind of to paraphrase here, his main gist of what he was interviewed about was talking about the potential of New Japan working together. Um, you know, essentially, he does think that there there could be uh, once travel restrictions are lifted, there could be some crossover matches. Um, there's definitely some dream matches that, that are available. Um, but, you know, he doesn't want to keep the focus on AEW. He doesn't want to overlook, you know, the talented roster that they have right now. But, you know, he's a big fan of Tanahashi. Uh, wants to, you know, face Tanahashi, Okada. And talks about the great guys like Jay White and Ishii and Ibushi that they could do stuff with. But um, essentially, you know, he's saying, you know, potentially guys could come over and they could do crossover, but he doesn't want to focus on the AEW roster they have right now. Yeah, he mentioned that they don't even have enough time right now to feature all the talent that they have signed currently, and so they're trying to focus on that. But, you know, there is the potential. Obviously, creatively, there's a lot of potential between, you know, the different matchups they could do. Yeah, then uh, Tony Khan, he was on Wrestling Wrestling Observer Live today, um, and he was saying, you know, AEW and the New Japan relationship is in effect, but travel restrictions are preventing talent from being exchanged. Uh, once they are lifted, get ready for some surprises. Now, this is an interesting thing, and this made a, I saw a lot of people on like Twitter and stuff, like re, especially like New Japan diehards, really mad about this one. But it's interesting because Kenny Omega's comments uh, from a recent interview, I, I don't know exactly when, they kind of sound totally opposite of what Tony Khan's saying, but based on the two, I think. I get a pretty good picture. It's like somewhere in the middle of. So he basically said um, that the agreement is not a full blown talent exchange. So he's acknowledging that there is an agreement in place. And he talked about how like there is definitely going to be some talent that's exchanged. You know, some people that will be what it sounds like based on, on his comments is that some talent has been agreed to be exchanged between the two companies for whatever purposes there are, but that's pretty much it. It's not like a full-blown, like... You're, Invasion angle. Or not even just that, like the ROH thing. You're not going to be seeing, like... War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds-type shows between the two companies on, you know, New Japan World and then on BR Live and stuff like that just yet or anything like that. And... So, I mean, I, I take it this way. I think both guys are telling the truth. And I think Tony Khan's smart in the one sense because he's like, oh, yeah, the deal's done. Surprises are coming. He's not making any other prim- promise than saying surprises are coming. To- uh, Kenny Omega saying, well, some talent will be exchanged, but it's not a full-blown partnership. Well, both of those things can be true, but be, you know, uh, just on face value, like received very differently. Like if you just heard what Tony Khan was saying, you would think like, oh yeah, they are partners. The forbidden door is open. 
anything's possible. And maybe down the line, anything could be possible. But then, you know, I think that it's what we've been saying all along. They are kind of working together, but for right now, it's pretty much just Mox and Kenta. Right. Which is what it would, which is what they've been saying pretty much. And, and like, time. and Kenny was using my analogy about the door and like, you know, the door is cracked open, you know, things can slip through cracks, you know, guys can slip through yeah. be- between uh, both promotions, but also the other thing, not a full blown thing here. And given the amount of people that have it f- worked into their uh, agreement with AEW to already have the ability to go to Japan and work for New Japan, um, you know, that, that kind of makes things uh, a little bit easier to facilitate as well. Yeah. Like, I'm sure the Bucks have it. I'm sure Cody has it. I'm sure... Hangman probably has it. Probably. Kenny definitely has it. We know several other people do. Mox, obviously. Jericho. Yeah. So. Uh, then the Monday free match of the week, AJ Styles versus Kazuchika Okada. And then last thing here, uh, Bloodsport 5 was this past weekend. And Josh, I know you watched that show. There are several New Japan guys Featured on that show, Alex Coughlin, uh, J.R. Kratos, Cobb, Moxley, Dayboy Smith Jr. Dickinson, Romero. There was a lot. Uh, th- this show, vastly superior to Josh Barnett Bloodsport 4, which I watched that show. I felt a little bit gypped. Uh, I watched this show. It was still on the short side, minute or an hour, a little over an hour and a half, like an hour, 40 minutes, basically. Uh for the you know the twenty dollar price tag or whatever, but um, still had a lot of the same issues that I had with the original Josh Barnett Bloodsport four, but not all of them. They fixed quite a few of them. Uh, one of the things was just the match quality was outstanding, top to bottom. And in fact, I would even go as far as to say this might be like the second best Josh Barnett Bloodsport event that they've ever put on. Um, only behind the one where Barnett and Suzuki headlined. Uh, so this was very, very good. Um, Alex Coughlin, I kind of had a little bit of a rough review for his match with J.R. Kratos the week before. This time, uh, he had a wrestle. He wrestled Hoist Isaacs, and they meshed much, much better. Uh, he still is a little bit too pro wrestling-ish. Um, too much of a... Young Lion style wrestling for this more MMA centric thing, but he he held his own. He did well. Um, he eventually lost, but it was a much better showing than the JR Kratos match. And I thought it was probably the best match I've ever seen of Alex Coughlin so far. Oh, nice. Um, I, I would go maybe like three and a half, three and three quarters, something like that. Uh, this stuff is hard to rate. They're short matches and they're a different style pro wrestling. So, I mean, my ratings, I, I looked on cage match stuff. You're. I think on Grapple, they got around like the three and a quarter-ish. But um, Simon Grimm and Rocky Romero, very good. Simon Grimm is one of the absolute best guys at this style. And Rocky Romero's never done it, but, you know, with all of his experience, he's very adaptable. And he's got a lot of, like, shoot. I think he might even had MMA fights. I can't remember. But um, this wasn't as MMA-ish as you would think it might be. It was much more closely akin to some of the matches he's had with Tom Lawler, maybe like the Dana Bryan match from um, best of the American super super juniors from back in the day. Yeah. Uh, very, very technical, very hard hitting. Uh, I thought this was great too. Um, J.R. Kratos and Chris Dickinson, pretty good. 
Some people probably like this a little bit better than I did. I thought that of all the New Japan-centric matches, it was the lowest, but that doesn't uh, by any means mean that it wasn't good. Uh, the one thing I've always said about Dickinson in these uh, blood sport matches, he needs somebody that's willing to slug with him, and Jared Kratos was, and they went out there, and they, they fucking laid it in for real. It was pretty great. Uh, and then the top two matches, uh, Jeff Cobb against... Um, what was on this show? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember who Cobb faced off against. I've got um, it here in the gallery. It, me... was, it was a New Japan person, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, they pretty much had. Uh... Okay, here it was. Uh, Jeff Cobb against Tom Lawler. Yeah, that's right. Uh, very, very good. Tom Lawler is just one of the absolute. I mean, Tom Lawler, in my opinion, is the best American shoot style guy when it comes to blood sport shows. Uh, Cobb still had a lot of the same issues as the first show. I. I, I just think like he's so amateur wrestling heavy and doesn't know enough of like the catch stuff, doesn't know if the submission grappling and his striking's not on that level, but he's got such a presence and a look and a athleticism, he still can hang. Um, but I just don't think he like is quite at the same level. But Lawler carried him to like and normally I wouldn't say Lawler carried him. You know, right. In a in a traditional wrestling match, but in this style, I think Lawler carried him to tell a really great story and Lawler attacked his legs. Um, I'm trying to remember who won. I'm pretty sure Jeff Cobb like beat him uh, by slamming him. I don't remember, but the match was very good. It was a great semi main event. And then the main event was Moxley against Davy boy Smith jr. And this ruled uh, probably one of the best uh, blood sport matches. I gave, I went four stars on it. It's in a very easy early, uh, excursion match of the year contender provided Mox qualifies. We'll, we'll talk about it later in the year, but um, yeah, Mox bladed in this match, which was fucking nuts. <laughs> um, Davy boy Smith was raining elbows from full mount and he covers his head to protect himself and go, he goes belly down and they cut to a different camera angle. And like my trained eye, I know what a, what a blade job looks like, right. but they're doing a good job because he's covering up He's turtling up is what they call it in MMA. So he's turtling up with both arms to make it look like he's trying to avoid punches. And then they, they show Davy Boy raining punches, but it's on the far side from where the camera is. So it looks like he's hitting him, but I'm pretty sure he's just hitting the mat. And in the meantime, Mox is blading. And then Mox rolls back over to avoid those punches that he's raining down on the right side. And then when he comes up, he's bleeding. And, like, they did it. It's one of the best, like, blade jobs I've seen. Like, obviously, I, I was able to, to detect it. I saw a lot of people online thinking it was shoot, like, that he busted him open, like, Terry Funk Hardway. He did not, for sure. But um, the match was awesome. John Moxley sucks at shooting. He <laughs> sucks at it. He is a ter He's the least qualified of anybody here. He cannot do shoot style. But, you know, they... It's GCW. They like to incorporate like Mad Men. They've had Homicide and like uh, um, Nick fucking Gage and people like that uh, do Bloodsport. And like what Moxley lacks in actual skill and finesse and technique, he makes up for by just being violent. And this was one of the most violent matches. That like they were do doing headbutts, elbows, punches, kicks, everything. And um, yeah, he beat David Boy Smith with a paradigm shift and. Uh, retained or you know won the main event it was awesome if you guys haven't seen it you got to check that out yeah i plan on checking that out uh this week and also news came out of that show that blood sport six here in our home city of tampa florida 
It's going to be happening with the main event of Josh Barnett versus John Moxley, the the fight that they've been trying to do for quite some time now, but keeps getting pulled off either due to injury or a pandemic. And so it, it seems like the fight's going to happen um, here, Tampa, Ebor City, WrestleMania weekend. Are you, are you going to see Mox versus Barnett? Um, possibly. So I haven't gone to wrestling really aside. From, well, I mean, practice, but like <laughs> I haven't been to really any live shows or anything like that. But um, one of the things is like for WrestleMania weekend, I'm kind of considering some of the shows they're doing just because GCW is running at the Cuban Club, which is an outdoor event. It, they're going to be 30% occupied and distanced and outdoors and mask required and, you know, sanitation station. So that sounds fairly safe to me compared to what I think almost, I think almost everybody else that's running WrestleMania weekend, they're all indoors. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not the best setup. (laughs) So yeah, that's kind of like my one thing. So, uh, I don't know if, if I'm going to like, spend precious like PTO to take off to, for this WrestleMania weekend, especially considering like not a lot of the shows are worthy of that. Dude, it is, is not look good, but, um, I might do it. I might do it for that show, depending on what the card looks like. I mean, I might even buy a ticket early just because, you know, it's probably gonna sell out, right? You could always sell, sell a ticket if it, uh, don't end up going side and go. Yeah. So yeah, that wraps up the news. I have some uh, quick questions here, and then we get to a recommended match of the week. So question here from Reddit user D underscore third underscore Jen. As we get close to wrestling's one-year anniversary of the COVID era, what do you think that NJPW has done well during the pandemic, and how can they improve going forward? Answers about keeping evil away from the title picture are cop-outs. I'm surprised that I haven't seen them Selling slash giving some type of noisemakers to the crowds to have something other than clapping, and I think they could help the atmosphere. Hmm. Well, what do you think? Um, so I think that New Japan has uh, done a good job with COVID. Uh, as far as the noisemakers, like they have given them the thunder sticks um, recently to some of the, some of the shows, so that that's helped in some of the bigger shows. Um, as far as you know. During the when they came back with empty arena wrestling, I thought their the New Japan Cup stuff I thought went off very well. They are some of the best empty arena wrestling going, and then incorporating the fans and the fans have done a, um, certain cities have done a great job, you know, with the, with the clapping and bringing some energy to the shows to, to the matches for the big shows. And so, yeah, overall, I can't really complain about how New Japan's been has done as far as like their bigger shows in. Uh, Happening during the pandemic Yeah I mean I I agree with pretty much Most of the things that you're saying there As far as what they've done well Especially given the unique set of situations And circumstances that they have in Japan As opposed to like say in the states So I mean every every, It's different for them than say like AW or WWE Um, Some things that they can Prove upon going forward Well I'll tell you one thing Uh, I don't like the caveat that we can't say something on our show <laughs> or because he said like answers about, you know, evil being taken from the title picture are a cop out. Well, no, that's not a cop out. If that, it, if that would actually improve the product. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's, that's been one of the most detrimental things for the product this past year. That being said, uh, if, if, if it were me, 
Because, I mean, let's be realistic. They've already established him as a top guy. They're going to be using him as a top guy. So we got to at least kind of make peace with that or get pissed off and stop watching. You know, those are like your two choices. Right. So if I was them, I would just make his matches be better. Like, stop relying so heavily on all the tropes. Maybe have someone work with him on his healdom because, I mean, Jay White's better at it than he is. And there's quite a few, you know, uh, entertaining heels in Bull Club and in the, on the roster. Uh, so I would focus on maybe him going back to having more athletic matches. I'm not saying don't cheat. I'm just saying, like, it doesn't have to be a fucking groat wire every single fucking match. Right. Um, I think they could ease down on some of the interference, some of the DQs, no count out finishes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, they're doing a lot of protective style booking, which isn't what they would typically do. And I'm not, I, I think maybe it's because of the limited roster. One other thing, uh, you know, kind of like compelling outside the box stories. You know, people seem to be very excited about Jay White and evil potentially feuding. Now they're kind of like buddy, 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 buddy <laughs> and good. And we never really got a reason for that. You know, at, at least if there was going to be, if they were going to become buddy, buddy, there should have at least been some sort of storyline progression that brought them together and resolved what had been teased at the G1 last year. Instead, we got nothing. We, you know, no real progression. It seemed like once Wrestle Kingdom season came along and G1 was over, that that shit got put on ice. Right. Um, but, you know, I'm, I think that that was something that a lot of people were looking forward to. We got questions about it all the time. Um, I think potentially bringing in selective outsiders for selective roles isn't a bad idea at all. I think that's something that they could improve upon. Um, as far as the noise situation, I think it is just, it is what it is. I don't, I don't see how a noisemaker is very different from clapping because they're not audible expressions to show their taste or distaste or, you know, it's not the same as a boo. Right. Or even a chair. <laughs> or a chair. Yeah. Or, or chanting a wrestler's name or chanting anything. So it's, right. Uh, I think that's kind of a mute point, but um, you know, I don't have a lot that I can really add because they're doing the best they could, you know? Yeah. Um, one thing I would say, and they're not going to do this, but stop doing the double shows. If you don't have the cards and the talent to do the double shows for the big ones, just do the big events. Right. Like, yeah. Combine those people. People get more excited, way more excited when you have one excellent show top to bottom with lots of memorable stuff than if you sparse that out and put it over two nights because then they're they're only going to get excited about a couple things but then they're going to say the shows themselves were a drag and the perception was, of the overall product is lower right there's, there's only one or two highlights per night instead of having several yeah yeah i agree and i think they they tried to remedy that a little bit with this castle attack format um and kind of put everything on one night and give us a little taste on the first night, which I think was okay, but um, the injuries kind of fucked him. So yeah. Uh, he also asked. Uh, he said Josh ended up being right on the money when Derek Lewis knocked out Curtis Blades. Any predictions ahead of UFC 259? That's interesting. I I wasn't. I couldn't recall what I said on the show, but I think I did say that I I kind of thought you, like, you were leaning towards Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Because it, it was a firefight, and any one of those two guys could knock each other out. But I, I've just seen I've seen Derek Lewis eat a lot of fucking shit and be fine. But Blades 
Blades gets hit and he usually like goes to sleep. I've seen several people drop him and knock him out. So um, UFC 259, I think that's the show that I'm going to look it up. Um, I know there's a show that I'm very excited about very soon. It's the one with Lehovich and um, Adesanya. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I cannot wait for this. Let me see what the actual card is. This card is probably going to be the best card of the year. Um, and yeah, so it looks like there's three championship fights. Yeah, you got Lehovich and Adesanya, Amanda Nunez and Megan Anderson, Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling, and um, the rest of it should be fine. I mean, Tiago Santos is fighting uh, Rajik or whatever his name is. Um and Dominic Cruz is on the preliminary card, which is pretty crazy. So um, this one's tough. I really don't know who to predict for the light heavyweight title. Um, I'm going to go with Israel Adesanya just because I think he's one of the most talented stand-up strikers um, I've ever seen. But Lahovich is, <laughs> oh, my God, bro. Like, it's crazy. Um He's just a fucking tank, and if he hits Adesanya, Adesanya is not really a big middleweight, you know. Yeah, he's pretty pretty slim. He does have a height. He's got a high, like a tall frame. Got that range. But Lahovich fucks people up. I mean, Adesanya, you know, striked at a much higher level than the UFC uh, in his previous, you know, career. So it's not like he's never been hit by serious guys. But I mean, the jump from like from middleweight to light heavyweight is twenty pounds. And um, very few guys have, I, I'm trying to even think, uh, aside from Anderson Silva, I can't think of too many guys in the UFC's history that have really successfully made that that uh, middleweight to light heavyweight jump. Um, and nobody's ever won both, both of those titles. And it's got to be one of the most treacherous jumps ever. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't even like uh, be down on Adesanya if he didn't win. Um, I think the longer the fight goes the more it's in favor of Adesanya. But um, I, I just think the odds lean towards Adesanya maybe even um, outstriking this guy with speed and skill, kind of like what he did to Tiago Santos. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. Lehovich could really brutalize him. It's, it's a scary fight. Yeah, I haven't really seen Israel take a lot of big shots. I have. And I've seen him get knocked out before. In, in, in Not in MMA, in uh, kickboxing. kickboxing. Okay. Yeah, since I've seen him UFC, I really haven't seen him take a, a, a ton of damage. Were you there the night he fought Kevin Gastelum? It was a fight of the year. We were at, um, it was after one of those Orpheum shows. Uh, I can't remember. We watched it with Sandy and um, was that Ava Story. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was there that night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he got hit. He like almost got stopped in that fight. You don't, you don't remember that? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, but since then, I mean, not too many, not too many guys have really given him trouble. Uh, Megan Anderson, I mean, Amanda Nunez is going to run over her. Um, Peter Yan, uh, I like Peter Yan, but he, he's got holes. Uh, I've seen, I've seen guys, you know, um, that should have won rounds against him, should have won fights against him, but he's such a prolific striker and he's got dynamite in his hands. He's very explosive that he'll, he'll turn rounds where he's losing. I'm not saying convincingly. I'm just saying like he's getting out struck or maybe the guy's coming forward and then he'll, he'll connect and fuck people up and completely turn the round around and he wins fights that way. Um, I, I think I've got him over Aljamain Sterling. Uh, that should be a good fight. So, I mean, those are the three big fights. So that, that's going to be my, uh, 
Those are my predictions. Uh, I don't know about Tiago Santos, Santos against uh, Rajik. Uh, we saw Santos fight John Jones in Dallas. Yeah. And uh, he, he got his legs fucked up in that fight, and I don't know if he's fought since then, but uh, Rajik is good. I've seen him before, but I don't really know what to expect. So I got... I pretty much have Adesanya winning and then the other two champions retaining. Yeah. Either way, it should be a pretty fun card there. Uh, next question here from Viking Payne. This is a pretty random question, but I saw a clip of Kojima and Tenzon wrestling for the IWGP title and a triple, triple crown title a while back. Kojima wins at the end, but things get really tense between him and Nagata. Then when Kojima get, begins to leave, he throws the IWGP, IWGP title back into the ring, which promoted Nakamura and Tanahashi to snap and try to attack him. Was this a work or was this a legit shoot? If it was a shoot, why would New Japan want to do business with Kojima ever again? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, this is kind of like one of those stories I've heard. I don't know the truth about it. So the deal was they were supposed to go to the time limit draw reportedly. That was supposed to be the deal. And I think what ended up happening was like Tenzan allegedly got like shoot knocked out or shoot hurt and couldn't continue. And like with a couple minutes left to go, Kojima beat him, but I don't think Kojima was supposed to beat him. And so that like caused issues, you know, and like, like it kind of became like a, from a work to a shoot. And then obviously there's also the aspect that like Kojima was with all Japan at the time, but he obviously he's a dojo boy, right? Came from new Japan but he's the triple crown champion at the time. And they're in the middle of their new Japan, all Japan war. Um, So, you know, he kind of shows disrespect and disdain for the IWGB title. He does throw it back in. I think part of it was that they say that in a shoot, like from the shoot aspect, he wasn't supposed to win. He didn't want, want the title, but then there's also like, everything was very tumultuous. No one knew what was going on. And in his character and in his anger, through the title back. And then um, I saw Tanahashi talk about that, talk about this in his um, Aces High series. Mm-hmm. And I think he alleged that, that his and Nakamura's reaction is very real. The rest of it, I don't know. I don't know because I could see it very plausibly all, all just being part of the ongoing all Japan, new Japan, uh, you know, war that was going and, on. And that's right. Right before the Tanahashi Kojima match, right? That they set up for Russell Kingdom. No. No. No, it's way before. Way before. This is like 2006-ish. Gotcha. 2007. I know they feuded, but that was, it was way after that. Yeah, this could even be like 2005. This is way... I mean, this uh, the, the that match is after Kojima is done with All Japan and comes back gotcha. to New okay. Japan. Um, so, I mean, Nakamura and Tanahashi are like young when this happened. Um, I've, I've mentioned this match... A while back when people were asking for Kojima Nagata recommendations uh, a couple episodes back. Um, but, yeah, it's a very famous match because they went almost the full hour. But they didn't. But I don't know if it's a work or a shoot, to be honest with you. I mean, maybe Chris Charlton or someone who, who is more versed in this stuff would know a little bit better. I'm familiar with it, but I don't actually know the truth behind the backstory. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's better not to know and just yeah. let, let's hear it. It comes off very real. That's the thing I will say. It comes off as, like, very, very real. It doesn't mean it is. It might just be convincing, but yeah. Uh, next question here from Dundiesel86. Young boy, this one's for you. If you had the opportunity to have one training session with any wrestler in New Japan, who would it be and why? Um, That's a great question. I mean, probably Tanahashi. Hmm. 
I mean, I, I don't know who's a good trainer or whatever, but I mean, if there's one person that I would want to learn from, I mean, uh, I think he's the greatest storyteller of a, of a generation. Yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong with the ace. <laughs> yeah, he's the ace. <laughs> Uh, next question is here from Dom Homie 101. Jeremy, if you could train with any wrestler in New <laughs> Japan, who would it be? Kojima. Yeah. <laughs> Red Club, baby. Or uh, or Shibata. I mean, he's doing great. I mean, I almost said Shibata initially. Yeah. Because I mean, why wouldn't you want to train with Shibata? Right. And we've seen the work he's doing with those LA you know, young lines. They're looking phenomenal right now. So, yeah. Uh, Dom Hoy 101 asks, in your guys' honest opinion, should New Japan be worried about a company like Pro Wrestling Noah becoming a threat? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, um, Cyber Agent is for real. (laughs) (laughs) For real, for real. I I don't know how much, you know, backing they're going to put behind them, but Noah is on a tear right now. And, I mean, with all the other, um, it's not just Noah. It's Noah, DDT, Tokyo Joshi Pro. Um, yeah, I think that they should definitely be concerned about competition. Yeah, definitely something to keep their eye out on. Like you said, it all depends on how much money Cyber Agent is going to pour into Noah. Because I think we've seen similar situations like this, kind of like with Ring of Honor and Sinclair, where Sinclair is not really dumping a lot into Ring of Honor. Right. Um, but yeah, if Cyber Agent decides, like, yeah, we, we want to compete against New Japan, we want to run bigger buildings and you know blow this business up, then yeah, then it's a, a very... You know, threat that they need to you know keep their eyes out on. Uh, next question here, he says, "Hey, young boy, Canel is fighting this weekend, and the buzz for this fight is at a zero. So instead of talking about the upcoming fight, let's talk about some fights that we actually want to see with Canelo." Well, before you do that, I'm looking up this fight. He's fighting um, this guy Yildirim. In um, it's it's a mandatory title defense, bro. I didn't know this was happening. Avni Yildirim. Um, I've never heard of this fighter. Um, I'm not as high, I'm like not as up on boxing in modern years as I have been on MMA. And even MMA is starting to kind of wane over the past couple of years. But uh, I didn't even know this was happening. It's happening this weekend. I thought him and Billy Joe Saunders was a done deal. But uh, what, what what's his question? So he said instead of talking about the upcoming fight, let's talk about some fights we actually want to see uh, Canelo have. And young boy could pick a winner in these fights. So Canelo versus Caleb Plant at 168. We we can just go through them real quick. So uh, Canelo and Caleb Plant 168. Uh, I'm not even as familiar with Caleb Plant. I I guess I would probably take Canelo. 168 is kind like I don't think he's done well at 168. So it's like I I I, I probably sound crazy for saying he shouldn't fight there, but I think it's too big for him. Um. I th- he's fucked some guys up there, but I think he should stay at 160. I think that's his prime weight. Uh, Jamel Charlo, um, I think he would probably beat Jamel Charlo, but that's uh, Jamal Charlo, but that's tougher. Um, at 160, 164, I think he's probably too much for Jamel, definitely. So I'd have him there. Um, David Benavides, I don't, I don't really know on that one. That's a tough fight for him. I probably I probably favor Canelo against just about any fighter in the world right now. Um, Errol Spence Jr. I think it really depends on the fight. If you got him at one sixty, I've definitely got Canelo. Errol, Errol Spence never fought at that weight class. Uh, if you did like a one fifty four fight or maybe like one fifty five ish, that might be a different story. Um, Errol Spence is supremely talented. 
But he's never been hit by a guy like Canelo. So that one's tough. Uh, Terrence Crawford, though, mm, at 160, geez. That's that's a that's a toss-up. That's a 50-50. I don't know what to do with that one. Um, I got Canelo over Demetrius, Demetrius Andrade as well. Um, if he fought Andre Ward, even now, I think Andre Ward fucks him up, period. Andre Ward is way too much from... Uh, Maybe 168 might be competitive. 175 is way too much. Um, I don't think he's coming back at all. But ha- if he did come back, I think he's like the one guy. Like he would fuck up Canelo. Um, you didn't throw this out there, but I'm pretty sure him and Billy Joe Saunders are going to fight. And that's that's a fight I'm very much looking forward to. And I'm kind of up in the air on who wins that one. Nice. And his last question, thoughts on Oscar Valdez knockout win against Miguel Burchlett. Knockout reminded me of the Juan Mar- Manuel Marquez knockout victory against Manny Pacquiao. Hopefully Oscar and his team isn't on the no black fighter list <laughs> type of bullshit and he fights Shakur Stevenson next. Oh, oh um, maybe, possibly. Um, yeah, I haven't really kept up with that weight class. I was out. Um, this past weekend in a outdoor mass socially day socially distance safe environment uh, and it was cold as fuck um, and this fight was actually on or the, the fights were on and I was gonna stay to watch this fight and it got late and we went home and then I saw the knockout and I was like kind of blown away um, yeah I actually when I saw it, it did kind of remind me of uh, Juan Manuel Marquez knocking out Manny Pacquiao um, I, I don't have enough like thoughts really to, to kind of speak on this, but Shakur Stevenson is, is a beast and you know, we'll see what happens. Nice. Well, let's wrap up things quick, quickly here with recommended match of the week. Last week I recommended new beginning 2014 Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Shinsuke Nakamura for the IWGP IC title. Yeah. So this is a match. I, I cannot remember if we reviewed this when we were doing our concept shows when COVID hit last year, but I watched this and I've seen this several times. And it, it like, I was like, I might've even just gone out of my way and watched it on my own, to be honest with you. Um, but I know I have seen this recently, but this match is awesome. Um, you know, Tanahashi is coming into, um, new beginning in Hiroshima as the newly crowned IWGB intercontinental champion. Um, against former champion Shinsuke Nakamura. Um, Tanahashi had defeated Nakamura for the title at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, what was that? Seven? Eight? I think eight. And, um, yeah, this match was awesome. Just, I think it's vastly superior to the first match that they had in, in the sense that um, Nakamura is really determined to get his title back. And they, they tell an awesome story basically of Tanahashi going after the legs, Nakamura going after the arm and, you know, Nakamura most likely looking for like the, uh, straight arm bar, you know, that he likes to hit and, you know, Tanahashi attacking the legs as he always does. Um, big moment in the match. He hits the double, um, high fly flows and Nakamura kicks out of it, which I think was, yeah, that was dope. (laughs) You know, anyone had done that yet. But um, yeah, this match this match really really ruled. The crowd was super into it. Uh, ultimately, 
Tanahashi still had enough in the tank to kind of get past Nakamura here and, you know, put a little bit of a exclamation point on his title win that it wasn't a fluke victory at Wrestle Kingdom and kind of make himself the man in the IC division for the time being. Um, I'd probably go four and a half on this. Nice. I, I think this match is incredible. If you guys haven't seen it, you know, big recommendation. I think it's vastly superior to the Wrestle Kingdom match that they had, which is, you know, been seen by a lot more people. I The one gripe, I know a lot of people didn't like the finish. They felt like the finish was a little bit flat. So I'm looking back on our Nakamura episode. We reviewed the Invasion Attack match from 2014. And that's where he wins the title back from Tanahashi. Right. And Tanahashi acts like a heel. Yeah, so he's, he wins it for the third time there, yeah. Yeah, that I, I do get these two matches confused, so that makes sense. So, yeah, awesome. All right, what you got for us for this week? Oh, man, you know... <laughs> I keep doing this like not putting any like forethought into uh <laughs> into um what I'm gonna pick. Uh so let's go back into the match guide. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um why don't you give me a year and I'll give you uh, a good match to recommend. Uh ninety-five. Didn't you pick ninety-five last time? Uh, yeah, I think I might have actually uh, go go. You know what? 80, no, do eighty nine. Nah, it's fine. We've done eighty nine. I'm gonna um give you the Akira Maeda versus Tatsumi Fujinami match from June twelfth, nineteen eighty six. All right. Nope. Nope. You know what? I'm sorry. I always get this one confused. That's not the match I want to give you. Um. Oh, yeah, that is the match. I'm sorry. Fujinami against Kiramaida. Yes. 1986? Yeah. Right. Yeah, this is one of the greatest uh, 80s matches, period, for any company. And um, I believe we watched this match in the past years ago. But um, it was, like, late night after, like, being out watching Orpheum show and drinking and everything like that. So I want you to watch it with <laughs> fresh eyes. Uh, in the right state of mind. Yeah. Well, all right. We'll check that out for recommended match of the week. That's going to wrap this, things this up. This is 100% the match. I, I looked it up just now. That's the match. All right. It's on New Japan World? Yeah. All right. For Perfect. sure this time. <laughs> all right. So we'll check that out. We'll review that next week. Also, next week, we'll be back to review both nights of Castle Attack. We'll review the, the Moxley Kenta match and talk about all this news happening in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. By visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate, click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, we're at KI Strong Style. Network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we're Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. In the Wrestling Sports Circle, we're Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Sports Circle. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pill Black Guy. Y'all just Keeping It Strong Style. You can email me, Jeremy at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We have Punish Radio, which is by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show from Scotland. The Grave Consequences Podcast with Caleb and Maserati, breaking down Lucha Underground. The 8-Bit Suplex with Josh Number 2 and Sandy, covering all things Impact and video games. We have All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style. The Ace of podcasts itchy 
Esteban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.